morning. It's cold and it's wet and it's miserable out there. I, I warn you now, don't even bother. Don't even bother going out. It's flipping horrible. Going from my front door to my car this morning, it wasn't a particularly far journey. It wasn't a happy one. It was horrible. Damp and wet and terribly unpleasant. So stay in and listen to this nonsense instead. We'll stagger through this together. Thousands of council tenants in the three counties could get less money to pay their rent from April. This is because they have too many bedrooms. Should they downsize if they can't afford their properties? More people than ever are commuting to Milton Keynes to work. We'll be looking at why the new city has become so popular and the effect it's having on the rest of Beds, Hearts and Bucks. And, oh, Milton Keynes, front page of The Telegraph today. Oh, an artist has hidden a cheque for eight grand in Milton Keynes' gallery. Well, our reporter Justin Dealey is sniffing free cash and he's already ducked down there. We'll speak to him in about half an hour. Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send us a text if you want. 81333, start your text 3CR. Put your name on it, please, for goodness sakes. Or give us a call. The lines are completely empty. It's five, four minutes past six. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, if you live in a council property, you might be worried about changes to the benefit system which come into effect in April. More than 65,000 tenants across the three counties could struggle to pay their rent and risk possible eviction under the changes. That's according, uh, according to a National Housing Federation report. Well, this morning we're looking at the impact the so-called bedroom tax could have. Welfare reforms will cut the amount of benefit that people can get if they are deemed to have a spare bedroom. MS sufferer Alison lives in a council house in Dunstable with her husband and son. She fears that she won't have enough money to pay her rent. I don't know where we're supposed to cut back on. We don't go out, we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't... You know, we just live hand-to-mouth, week-to-week, and it's going to be very, very difficult. And this is because I didn't choose not to work. I didn't choose to become ill. Um, And now this is... It's almost, I feel... I'm being punished for being ill, like it is wrong to be ill, and that is how people look at it. I think that a lot of us are lying, we take money we're not entitled to, which isn't true. We don't live on a vast amount of money, and to leave my home will unsettle me. I can't see in the long run it's going to be very good for me, along with the physical illnesses. I do suffer with depression, and to be moved out of a home that I've loved and that we try and look after... It's, it's going to be upsetting because I just can't see that we can ongoingly now forever find almost £100 a month to pay. I just can't see where we can cut back and how we can do it. So unless something changes, yeah, I can see that we probably will be forced to move into a smaller place. Well, Labour councillor Tom Shaw is the housing portfolio holder for Lutonborough Council. Morning, Tom. Morning. You heard Alison's story there. Should she have to downsize just because she's got a spare room? No. It's the government what's forcing people to do it. They aren't saying you've got to downsize. All they're saying is you'll lose this money. So people, what, like Alison, what got care plans. Sometimes, you know, it's elderly people got a care plan saying they need a bedroom themselves because of, of different disabilities. And the carer or the partner uses the other bedroom. Even they'll still lose the uh, housing benefit for that second bedroom. It's still fought out. Bad piece of legislation. And it's attack on the worst off in the in society. It does seem a little bit unfair, doesn't it, that, that, that people like Alison, who uh, have uh, her family, have lived in that home for forty-seven 
years, and it's looking likely that she is going to have to move because she can't find that extra money. Oh well, yeah, it's uh, more than likely she'll have, you know she'll have to make the choice to move. We can in Luton we completely disagree with the legislation, but we've got no choice to implement it. And you've just it, you know you've just got it dead right. People what have been in houses on say Lucy Farm for fifty years are going to be told move, and the problem is the council for years has build, been building three bedroom houses to take care of families, and now we've got to find hundreds. We've got over three hundred applied already in Luton. We've got to find, you know, the place, the space and the places to build one-bedroom properties for all these people. There are some pe- uh, people, Tom, who might suggest that, hang on a second, why should these people have properties that, that are, are, are too big for them? Perhaps they should move to free up space for families that are perhaps struggling and, and a little bit cramped. That there's a, a culture where people feel a sense of entitlement to these council houses. Well, you think the rent they've paid over the 50 years while they've been working, while they've been able to work. You know, they pay for the house, you know, twice what it would be worth on the open market. And the stupid part about all this legislation is it's a tax on the worst off. It's not just a council tax. And by the way, it's tenants in the private sector as well, not just council tenants. You know, you've got the, you've got the house, uh, changes in council tax benefit coming in. And all the government's trying to do is say, well, it's all these scroungers what get £2,000, £3,000 a month. We haven't got one person in Luton what gets benefited, the figures, the government quotes. They're all way, way, way below those figures. But what they're doing is, you know, attacking people by saying the people on benefit getting £2,000 a week, uh, £2,000 a month pay for their house. We've got nothing like that in Luton. The average rent in Luton's only £109 a week. So what the government's doing is trying to confuse everyone by saying everyone's at the top of the market. They're not. They're hitting the worst off people in the worst way possible. For those people that do have to downsize and, and make that move, are there enough properties for them? No. How big Simple is the shortfall, that. do you think? Well, we, as I said, we, we are normally in Luton, we'd have about 100 and odd people on the list, you know, to downsize, to go to shelter schemes, that kind of stuff. And in the last three, two and a half months, that's gone up to over 400, and that's before the impact of the, you know, the new housing benefit rules come in. When those impacts, when that impact comes in and people realise just how much money they're going to lose, that list will go and go and go. We've got to find somewhere now to build one-bedroom properties. Tom, listen, thank you very much indeed. Labour councillor Tom Shaw, housing portfolio holder for Luton Borough Council. Interested in your opinion on this. What I want to hear from you this morning. Should council tenants downsize if they can't afford their properties? When you say it like that, it kind of sort of makes sense. But then you hear the story that we just heard there from Alison. Her family have been in that house for 47 years. She's got MS, so moving... Listen, I'm moving next week. It's stressful for me. Imagine what it's like because you're being forced to do it and you're ill. It's going to be really stressful for her. Also, the place that she lives in, she spent a fortune, thousands of pounds, making it uh, MS-friendly, if such a phrase exists. And and I'm imagining that there are bars along the wall to help her get up and to help her walk along, and maybe an adapted bath, maybe an adapted shower. She spent a fortune making that place livable, for her and functional for her. Should she have to move? 08459 455 555. Should council tenants downsize if they can't afford their properties? This should get you talking this morning. You can also go to the Facebook page and have a nice little Barney with each other. Play nice, don't be rude. But go and have a, a, an argument. I know we'll get some strong opinions on this. Facebook.com forward slash 
BBC 3CR. Should council tenants downsize if they can't afford their properties? Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm pondering this question. We're talking about this, and I don't know the answer. I really don't know the answer. I can see both sides of the story. Should council tenants downsize if they can't afford their properties? 08459 455 555. <laughs> Speaking of doing ridiculous sports that could potentially end in having your, your neck broken, um, it's looking very, very likely that the dive-off, we were going to have a splash-off. Justin Dillon and I are going to have a splash-off together. Um, it's looking very likely that's not happening. So just listen, no, 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 I'm obviously I'm disappointed that we won't get some excellent content for um, BBC Three Counties, but in many ways I am relieved that um, my son will have a fully functioning father, at least for the foreseeable future. So fingers crossed, we'll find out today whether or not it's happening, but fingers crossed I will not be having a splash off with Justin Daly. That would be awful. Uh, we're talking about the, uh, the changes to um, benefits, which could mean if you've got a spare bedroom, uh, you, you might have to, you'll lose some of your benefits. The so-called bedroom tax. Well, Peter's in Warmer Green. Morning, Peter. Good morning. What, what, what do you make of this? Do you live in council housing? Yes, indeed. I've been, been in for 40 odd years. Forced uh, of circumstances, really. Right. Uh, well, so, what do you think about this? That people, um, the, the welfare reforms will cut the, abene- the amount of benefit people can get if they have a spare bedroom. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's absolutely diabolical because, for for instance, people who've been lived in there some time have bought and paid for them many, many times over. There right. is no doubt about it. Right, but right? It, doesn't, it doesn't work like that, though, does it? it maybe it doesn't. It's people... it, does, it doesn't work like that in private housing, but it no. works exactly the same. It's been, uh, they don't do the same to them. I mean... Well, no, they do. I think, that, well, if, if you're still on benefits and you're in uh, private housing, the way I understand it is you could still lose some of your money. Well, if you if you look at the if you look at the situation overall, lots of the people uh, who live in council housing, yeah. many of them have been child carers in their lifetime on minimum rates. Right. Right? right. Now we're quite happy to for them to be thrown out of houses with memories and everything else. Yeah. Uh, but. If they if they ask for extra money when they're child carers, yeah. oh no 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 no. Yeah, but but they, what, you you mean caring for their own children? No, caring for other people's children on minimum what? rates, right? Because they're not going to be in a very good position at well, the end that's, of the day. That's, I think that's a tiny um, percentage of the people that live in council houses oh, are child on, they carers. Do, they do lots of the jobs that other people don't want to do because they're on minimum rates. I always thought that a council house was a temporary property for those that, that were in need, and then when you kind of got yourself back together, you could go out and, and, and get your own place? Well, no, because it doesn't work like that. You, oh. People never get out of the bad position they're in. Not everyone's healthy. Not everyone's no. fit. Not everyone's no. got the ability. They get into poor paid jobs. They've not got the money to, to pay for a mortgage. There's all sorts of circumstances. Now, in Luton itself, yes. you've got 14 families that's been moved out, right. but you've got a housing situation there which is desperate anyway. So, what, what, what do you say to the children there? There's memories in these homes. But memories can, can, be, can be... You can get new memories, Peter, in new homes. Listen, if you've lost your wife, like, say, for instance, I have, and you've got memories in you where you live, there is no way you want to. I mean, I've never claimed a benefit in my life. Peter, Peter, is this, gonna, is this changing the benefits? Is this going to affect you at all? And no, I've never claimed there a benefit go. in my life. But having said that, yes. if you would like to inform your people just how much the rents are a week, yes. and, you, and then say to someone, if you've lived in your house 12 years, yes. 
when you're buying it, yeah. they're, they're paying more rent than you are paying mortgage. Well, the, the Peter, but that's, that's, that, that argument is invalid. It doesn't make any sense. You, you don't, just because you rent, in a ha- rent a house, whether privately or through council, for 25 years, 30 years, and it means you, you, you would have bought the house over. You haven't. You've paid rent. That's what rent is. I, I've, I made the, the bold, brave decision to try and get a mortgage and, and pay mortgage. That's the way it is. You can't say, well, I'm living in a house for 25 years. I should own it. It doesn't work like that. Peter, thank you very much for your call. 08459 455 555. What do you think? Should council tenants downsize if they can't afford their properties? If you want to comment about the bedroom tax, in inverted commas, as it's uh, being labelled by us, uh, you can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR, and you'll see a picture of the scariest looking house I've ever seen in my life. It's terrifying. It's, that's more frightening than Amateurville. Um, or you can give us a call, 08459 455555. Now, more people than ever are commuting into Milton Keynes to work. Latest figures estimate there were 53,000 people commuting into the new city and 18,000 travelling out. The number of commuters is expected to rise even further when the next census is out later this year. Since the new town was built in the 1960s, it's attracted big businesses including Santander, Argos and most recently Network Rail, which has 3,000 staff working at its new offices next to the train station. So why do businesses choose to set up base in MK? Ian Evans is the Managing Director of Airwatch, which came to Milton Keynes a year and a half ago. Morning, Ian. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. What does Airwatch do? We're a software company. We provide um, security services around most of the new devices that you bring to work, iPhones and Android devices and iPads, etc. Why Milton Keynes? Why not somewhere else? It's a great city for us. Uh, I needed a location that was very central to the country. I also needed to be able to get into London within, uh, you know, 35 minutes uh, door-to-door. There's a great resource pool for us. We've had a tremendous year in 2012. We, we grew about 900% revenue-wise. I added 160 staff to the business during last year. And, um, and we have a great talent pool. So um, we're very centrally located. We're actually right next to Network Rail and Santander. And um, it gives us great ability to, to recruit. We have about 30% of our, um, of our team traveling in either by train or, um, you know, longer term traveling in by car. So we're, we're pulling people in from all of the local towns as well. And, and that's, um, you know, giving us really convenient, great access for the, uh, for the city. Why not Bedford or Watford? And what, what, what are those places lacking that Milton Keynes has got? Well, Milton Keynes is a, is a, it's a new city, as you said a minute ago, but it's also quite a young, technology-oriented city as well. So I wanted to be somewhere that, that had great commuter um, you know, reach and connection. We're also relocating many people. So whilst we're actually bringing people in as a commuter, but we're also bringing people in from other countries around Europe. So I've, I've actually relocated people from Italy, Spain, France, Germany, into the local area as well. Uh, and how, how has your business grown since coming to Milton Keynes, Ian? It's been, it's been quite successful, hasn't it? We've, we've had a tremendous time, yeah. So, um, so in December 2011, we were at 12 staff. We're 165 as of today. Hey, that's not bad going. Well done. We're about 50% there, so, um, so we're hoping to add about another, another 120, 150 people this year. And, and again, we're not running out of resource pooling. One of the key facts that I also have as, uh, as running the business is language skills. So I, I employ people that will, will also have either mother tongue languages or, or you know, a high degree language skill of Italy, France, Germany, Spain, 
looking at the Nordic countries and so on, and, and we have some great talent in Milton Keynes around languages. Ian, listen, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Ian Evans, Managing Director of Airwatch, it, which came to Milton Keynes a year and a half ago, and it sounds like they're doing great guns. Have you moved your business to Milton Keynes? More and more people are commuting in now. 08459... <clears throat> frog in my throat. 08459. 455. 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Don't forget, you can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR, and you can also go there and comment uh, on the, this bedroom tax. It's a very strange picture of a house. Should council tenants downsize if they can't afford their properties? I can see... It's one of those ones... Normally, I, I, I'm, I'm quite definite in my views, in my opinions. I can sort of see both sides of the, the argument on this. I can see why some people um, feel that they, they should be staying in their houses, even though perhaps it's a bit bigger than they need. You know, maybe one of the kids or two of the kids has moved out, so they've got a couple of spare rooms. I, I can see why they, they perhaps should stay there. But I can also see why we need to free up space and make more room for other people. I don't know. I'm hoping that by nine o'clock this morning, you'll have helped me make my mind up as to, as to what the right way is to go on this. Someone has snuck eight grand into Milton, the Milton Keynes Art Gallery. I know. I wouldn't mind a piece of that action. Would that encourage you to go? If you found it, you get to keep it. You write your name in. Beautiful. Well, Justin Dealey, ever hungry for some free money. I know, I know, it's a little bit desperate. He's gone down there straight away, so he may be looking for it at this very moment. We'll speak to him and find out exactly what he's up to after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Coming up in the next half an hour, we told you two weeks ago, do you remember the horse meat in the burgers in supermarkets, including Tesco? Well, later this morning, the com- uh, government debates its policy on horse meat in the food chain. I wonder what its policy on horse meat in the food chain is. I'm hoping it's a thumbs down. We'll find out exactly what's being discussed. And David Lloyd, the Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire, told this programme not too long ago that they were still looking to use the security for- firm G4S to run some police services. Well... Apparently that deal has now collapsed. I don't understand what's going on. Political reporter Paul Scoynes will be joining me in about 20 minutes to explain. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hey, here's something you don't see very often. Front page of the Telegraph, Milton Keynes Gallery. You try saying that at 25 to 7 in the morning. Front page, it's reported that an artist, in inverted commas, those are my own, has left a blank cheque for £8,000 in the gallery in the hope it will raise interest in the town's art scene. Well, uh, Brian Sewell Jr., correspondent Justin Dealey, is in Milton Keynes now, aren't you, Justin? Justin? Dealey? Do you know what? I suspect he's found that cheque and he's nicked off to go and spend it. We will come to Justin shortly. I bet he's got his money on that, his hands on that money and he's off. He's buying himself some new fake tan. Some new bleach for his hair. And a new... What's that thing? Like, a snood, isn't it? He likes the odd snood, does Dealey. That's the thing where it's a scarf and a hood, yeah? Yeah, that's what he likes. Don't worry, ladies. And indeed, certain gentlemen listening, we found Dealey. We've located JD. He's out in Milton Keynes by the gallery. Because it's on the front page of the Telegraph. It's reported that an artist has left a blank... It's art. Has left a blank cheque for £8,000 in the gallery in the hope it will raise interest in the town's art scene. Well, Justin Dilley is there now. Good morning, Justin. 
Yes, hello, Ian. Excitement in the air this morning because uh, this blank check, of course, for, for £8,000 is somewhere inside Milson Keynes Gallery. Uh, I'm out the front right now. And it's fascinating already because you go up to people and you say, Oh, Milson Keynes Gallery. No, I'm not interested, mate. And then you say, well, but there's an £8,000 check in there. Oh, right, tell us more. <laughs> so, straight away, uh, people are interested. Uh, the person who's put this check in there is Thomas Georgeson, and uh, apparently you've got until the 1st of March to find this check. If you find the check in, yeah. that money is yours. In saying that... Uh, the people inside the gallery, they've already had a look. They say they can't find it. Mind you, they would say that. If they went in and they found the cheque, well, the game's over straight away. So the idea is that, that you go in, it gets new people into the gallery, and if you find £8,000, well, you're going to be having a very happy day, aren't Do we you? have any clues, Justin? I mean, it could be, like, under a statue or in a Buddha, or, <laughs> it could, you know, I, I'm worried that people are going to start turning over these fine works of art and ruin everything. Well, well, you know what, you make a very interesting point there. Hopefully somebody from the gallery will come on later on to explain this, because you're right, you're not supposed to go in there and touch the art. Don't what finger the don't art. Want, exactly, well, what you don't want is 2,000 chabs at midday today when this place opens, going in there and turning the place upside down, trying to find this cheque for £8,000. So we have absolutely no idea where this cheque is. All we know oh, is that it's in there somewhere. OK, well, we, we're going to follow this story throughout the day, and I'll, I'll be down there about five minutes past nine to help you look. <laughs> If you find it, Justin, I'll split it with you, OK? Well, I've already said to you, if I find it, I'll take you out to, uh, to breakfast at our local cafe, and that'll be about it, I'm afraid. Oh, thanks very much. Hey, Justin, very quickly, just going off on, on, on a slight one. Uh, it's, it's sad news uh, today that it's looking very likely that our splash-off isn't going to happen. Yeah. Yes, I heard you mention that. It's um, very, very sad Disappointing. news. Disappointing. You know, I was up for it going off the 10-metre board, but I was um, it sounds up like for it's it. good news for you. I will, no, no, I was, because uh, I was thinking about it last night, I, I was probably going to go off the 10-metre board as well, actually. <laughs> yeah. I was practising <laughs> off the sofa. It's all very well saying that when you know it's not going to happen. Yeah, this is hard life. Justin Dealey, thank you very much indeed. On oh, FM, oh, let's try that. And online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Fat fingers. Fat fingers. I've got fat fingers, so sometimes I hit two buttons when I mean to only hit one. It's, you know, it's, it's a dilemma that many of us uh, have to meet. Now, we're talking about how more people are commuting to Milton Keynes than ever before. And we're kind of asking why. What, why is, why is this changed? Why is Milton Keynes becoming the commuter central? Well, Sally Stone commutes from Watford to Milton Keynes every day to work for the charity World Vision. Morning, Sally. Morning. Hi. Uh, why, why Milton Keynes? Uh, well, really, it was all for me. It was all about the um, the job and uh, working for for World Vision, which is a children's charity. Um, and when I actually um, took the job, I actually lived in South London, oh. um, so I actually had a two hour commute each way. Um, so I moved uh, to, to Watford to be a bit closer, but I still have a forty five um, minute commute um, to get to, to Milton Keynes each day. But to be honest, because I love my job, it's kind of it's worth it. <laughs> and what do you make of Milton Keynes? Because it still gets. A bit of a bad rap, doesn't it? Were you, what did you think when you heard you, you had a job in Milton Keynes? Was part of you like, oh, Milton Keynes? <laughs> really? Yeah, it was a little bit, I have to admit. Um, and um, to be honest, I don't get out and about in Milton Keynes oh, an awful lot. get out and um, about. Get out and about. Have a look down the boulevards. <laughs> I should do. But when we do occasionally sort of go to, you know, the pub for lunch and um, things, and um, you get to see a little bit more than just the um, dual carriageways. And it's always looked really nice, actually. It's very green, um, and it's got good shops and stuff. So, yeah, I've, I've definitely got a better impression of Milton Keynes since I've been working there than I had before. So, you, being more in, to it. Living in Watford, 
commute, uh, mm-hmm. that's prime location to commute into London. I would imagine that your journey, because you're going away from London, is kind of a little bit easier and you can get a seat on the train or, you know, it's, it, it, if you're going up the road, it's a little bit quieter. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, um, I, so I, I go by car, right. um, so straight up the M1, and the traffic is usually a lot worse the other way um, than the way I'm going. I mean, occasionally you get the odd hold up the way I'm going, but um, usually it's pretty much sort of 45 minutes straight through, um, and it's quite nice to be kind of sailing away from the traffic rather than sat in it, static, like everyone else. It's so. always the nice thing. It's always <laughs> the good thing. Sally, uh, listen, thank you very much. Sally Stone commutes from Watford to Milton Keynes. She works for the charity World Vision. Which is a cracking charity. There's excellent stuff, so good for her. Well done. I'm going to look at the front page of the papers. Why am I getting a blank look? Am I in trouble? Again. Have I, do- have I done something wrong? But Paul Scoynes, um, the political reporter, sent me a text saying, um, along the line, something, blimey, the uh, police uh, deal with G4S has, has, has fallen through. And I was like, oh, did I do that? I was genuinely worried that I'd done something when David Lloyd came in that had scuppered a huge deal. If I, it's my constant state is, have I done something wrong? Did I break it? It wasn't me, Mum. The Times surfs up and up as Daredevil crests a record. Oh, look at this brilliant picture. Look at this picture of this surfer on a hundred-foot wave yesterday in Portugal. Garrett McNamara. The surfer said he had wanted to stay in bed after a fall the day before. Yeah, tell me about it. If I fall the day before... <laughs> if I fall the day before, I want to uh, stay in bed. Uh, tax allowance for married couples to avert gay revolt. The gays are revolting. It's a ju- Come on! David Cameron is under mounting pressure to push through tax breaks for married couples as a way of averting a Tory rupture over gay marriage. There's an inappropriate phrase. The Independent. Gamble for Africa. Mali mission sucks in 400 British troops. Um, and US authorities can spy on data stored on clouds. Oh, I don't, I don't trust the cloud. I don't like the... I, I, I dabbled with the cloud a little bit. I don't trust it, and now I'm right to. Look, American authorities are able to spy on any electronic files stored by British citizens on cloud internet service services. Oh, dear. Uh, and Balotelli is um, off to another football club. I don't know anything about football, but I like Balotelli because he's got a camouflaged um, Bentley. It's camouflage. When, when would you drive a Bentley or a Daimler? When are you going to drive a Bentley in the jungle? For goodness sakes. And there was a picture of a young lad weeing on it the other day. I don't condone that sort of behaviour. The Daily Telegraph. The Daily Telegraph is um, giving... It's got like a little bit of perfume at the top. I know, and it smells wonderful. I've, I've applied it to myself. Wonderful. I'll have that. SAS units threatened by new defence cuts. Poland thanks Blair for the jobs. Uh, Tony Blair has been given an award to thank him for opening up the British labour market to Polish workers. Oh, good for them. Uh, And Mr Bean in a play. It's the front page. Oh, and the the Milton Keynes, of course. Look, gallery's big draw, a hidden £8,000 cheque. The Daily Mail. Millions... This is brilliant. I tell you what, half the staff here at BBC Three Counties would lose their jobs. Millions of workers should be tested for drugs. Millions of professionals should face mandatory drug testing at work, Britain's most senior police officer has suggested. Anyone who failed a test and refused help to get clean should lose their job, Sir Bernard Hogan House said. It's the BBC. Seriously, the BBC will be scuppered. Not necessarily here. Television centre. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I can tell you what happens there. The Daily Express. Susanna Reid. Um, why Britain loves waking up to Susanna. Susanna's lovely. She's a friend of mine on Facebook. I, I don't think I've... I know I've met her once, and she's nice. But the Daily Express is kind of doing that, hey, we're doing a serious ju- story about women um, achieving stuff, but actually we just put a picture of a sexy lady on the front. That's what they're doing. 
uh, and then Jane Seymour as well at 61. And 79% say we must ban EU migrants. Ah, dear. Uh, and the son, Jeremy Kyle, in cancer battle. Jeremy Kyle's got cancer. He had it. He's, uh, he's had the all clear, so it stopped. So no, he doesn't have it. Telly talk show star Jeremy Kyle has been secretly battling cancer. Kyle, 47, had surgery and chemotherapy after doctors de- diagnosed a toxic testicular tumour. He's now had the all clear. OK, well, that's the story. And there's a picture of a lady who was a prostitute on there as well. But now, let's get the latest weather with Wendy Hurrell. Hello, good morning. It's been a wild night of weather, hasn't it? That's how your weather's looking at the moment. Wendy? Yes. You and I totally owned BBC the other night. I know we did. We, we were on Inside Out, London was, version together. I, I was honoured to share the programme with you. I, I d- watched it, it was very nice. I watched yours and I, I didn't know I was on. I got a text oh. from someone saying, hey, looking good on, on Inside Out. What? <laughs> I was getting ready for bed. I had to dash downstairs and I saw the last 30 seconds of me. That, you know, yeah, and then I, my little piece was on the news channel as well and I had people mm. in, in Norfolk, my friends in Norfolk saying, um, oh, yeah, so you're on the telly. I was completely confused. Like, <laughs> How has this happened? Are you going mad? Maybe it wasn't me. Maybe someone who looked like me. I was doppelganger. I was very proud to share uh, the television show with you, Wendy. Oh, and well, likewise, darling. And you know that mouse? Yes. Mouse. Yes. It's been plaguing Radio Five. Radio Five have stolen our mouse. No, Sheila's been. Sheila squealed. Yeah, Sheila squealed. (laughs) Hang on, that's an advert for something, isn't it? It wasn't. It wasn't our mouse, though. Um, It was the mouse's cousin. I mean, the whole family, frankly, is just a menace. They're they're terrible. We should bits of wood, bits of wood over their heads. What? It's they're mice. They're not dogs. Thank you, Wendy. I meant over the mouse head, not the Sheila Fogarty head. That would be... No, I'll, I'll shut up. A little bit of Dido to, uh, to cheer you right up in the morning. There we go. Fantastic. Now, a deal to use the security firm at the heart of the Olympic staffing debacle to run some police services in Beds and Hearts looks to have collapsed. The police commissioners of Beds, Hearts and Cambridgeshire met last night and discussed the deal. The PCCs of Hearts and Beds always disagreed over this. Well, our political reporter, Paul Scoyne, says the story. I'm slightly confused, Paul. What, what's happened here? Well, cast your mind back into June of last year and that was when the forces of Bedfordshire, Hertfordshire and Cambridgeshire started to consider this idea which had been taken uh, up by Lincolnshire Police uh, where it would share things like uh, civilian employees and police officers and HRIT fleet management, those sorts of things those sort of back office things uh, with each other and they started to look at it the the, the constables started to look at it and at the same time there was this sort of battle between the uh, various candidates for the Police and Crime Commissioner elections, which yes. we covered in great, great detail in November last year. On, on this station? On this Some station. may say in too great a detail. I would, <laughs> I would not. I would not be one of those. Some would say that any detail would be too much detail on that. But, uh, yeah, so the, but, but what was interesting is that the police, the eventual Police and Crime Commissioner of uh, Bedfordshire, Ollie Martins, was very much against it. The, uh, the eventual Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire, David Lloyd, was very much in favour mm. of it. So we had these two opposing views, and we always knew that this 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 issue might come to a head and it happened last night they mm. had this meeting now yesterday uh, my colleague at Look East, Sally Chidzoy, found from a criminal justice source that the uh, the deal was dead in the water. And she told us, and we were able to then start chasing them down. They said, oh, how do you know what's going on? Uh, you're not supposed to know. And this doesn't happen until later anyway. It's not been decided. And then later we found out that it indeed was dead in the water, as we had found out. So it's it's been ruled out completely? 
Yeah, that's right. Now, the press release from Ollie Martin says that the uh, concerns that he had about the proposal on the record, well, we know that because he talked about it on this programme, he said he's pleased that the e- following evaluation has ended in an agreement, a shared view that this contract does not deliver what we need. However, we do still save some money. Uh, and they said they are still going to do some greater working together. The chief constable of her, uh, Bedfordshire Police, Police Alf Hitchcock said that as an alliance they've been working together uh, already to make savings for the three forces and uh, to meet the financial challenges. Lots of money to be saved, 20% off the police budget yes. or, uh, in the next sort of uh, 12 months. So quite a lot to be done still. Um, but of course, this does appear to at least leave G4S out of the frame for the whole three forces. Well, where does this leave hearts? Because we've mentioned David Lloyd was in last week, I think it was, and he was bang up for it. Yes, on Friday, indeed, he said this. I think one of the best ways of uh, ensuring that we get an effective and efficient police service in Hertfordshire, and more to the point, reduced crime in Hertfordshire, is through looking at the private sector as well as the public sector. A G4S out of the picture now. G4S aren't out of the picture yet. The, um, we clearly will uh, need to come to some uh, conclusion on that, and uh, I'll be very happy when we've come to a conclusion, whether for or against, to, to come back and chat that through. Yes. Oh, he's going to come back and chat that through. He's going to come back and chat that through yes. at 10 to 9 this morning. Excellent stuff. Now, he says that there may still be some movement in this, actually, mm. and not to completely rule out even G4S's involvement. Uh, he said that he may go it alone now. It may be that just Hertfordshire adopts this deal. He says that there are very much still some savings to be made. He thinks that there are, um, uh, or there is a good opportunity to do this. G4S said that the three-force deal would have saved £100 million guaranteed over the next 10 years. Um, so, I suppose the questions you probably want to be asking him is whether or not this... Tell me what the questions are to ask. Go on, yes, go. Well, does this mean, I mean, they both say, saying that, you know, collaboration is still possible, but this must be a a, a bit of a schism between them now in terms of schism, how they work together. How they work together. And I suppose to Ronnie Martins, how are you going to make these savings then? Because these savings would have, you know, at least amounted to around £30 million for the force, I guess. Um, The G4S say, you know, they're disappointed and say they could have put these... um, savings together they also say that uh, the the uh, the savings sorry i'm just reading from their statement here it says that the, to operate the back office efficiently at the volume uh, required uh, would have enabled them to concentrate their resources on the frontline roles we know that that, that certain uh, around 50 officers from mm. Overshire are, are scheduled to go in the next 12 months people will be breathing a sigh of relief that g4s are for the moment or d- seemingly out of the picture because they, they have been plagued with fiasco and embarrassment, haven't they? Absolutely. Group four, they were, back in the old days, used to le- lose prisoners, didn't they? But I'm sure they, they've cleaned, well, on, on certain occasions. And, of course, the, the Olympics, Olympics row was, was, was a big scandal. It's, I mean, you know, they are one of the biggest, if not the biggest, security company in the world. Mm. Uh, they uh, have... Seemingly operated a, a very good deal in in uh, Lincolnshire. The uh, the force there says, and and that's something that other forces around the country are looking at. I mean, you know, if, if police forces can save money by doing things better, uh, and, and, and you know, using outside forces, yep. then certainly commissioners like David Lloyd say, well, why not consider it at least? So, who have we got coming in this morning, and what time can we expect them? We've got Ollie Martins in about an hour. Who's yep. going to come in and explain why it's a good you know deal for the forces and then you've got david lloyd an hour later saying why he might still consider it i'm kind of glad they're not coming in together well i think they are too ouch
listener, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. The first hour of the show is gone and it fair, it fair flew by, didn't it? Oh, a cracking first hour. Lots coming up in this hour, though. Don't feel left out. And as always, be good for you to have your say. Um, I'll give you the contact details in a bit. Although, to be honest, you, know, you should know them by now, shouldn't you? Really? Maybe we have some new people listening. I'll give you the benefits of the doubt. Thousands of council tenants in the three counties could get less money to pay their rent from April because they've got too many bedrooms. Should they downsize if they can't afford their properties? We'll hear from an MS sufferer from Dunstable about why she feels the system isn't fair. More people than ever are commuting to Milton Keynes to work. We'll be looking at why the new city has become so popular and the effect it's having on the rest of Beds, Hearts and Bucks. And an artist has hidden a cheque for £8,000 in Milton Keynes Gallery to raise the profile of the area's art scene. Well, guess who's first in the queue to try and find it? Yeah, yeah, Dealey. Can you believe it? We, we, we told him, Dealey, there might be a, a cheque for £8,000 in Milton Keynes Gallery. Who's gone? Well, I'll also speak to the director of the gallery to find out if it's just a big publicity stunt. I'm going to ask the tough questions, like, is it just a big publicity stunt? You can get in touch by facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. Send us a text. If you do send a text, put your name on. I've decided I'm not going to read any anonymous texts. 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or, look, all of the phone lines bar one are free. Now is an excellent time to give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, if you live in a council property, you may be worried about changes to the benefit system which come into effect in April. More than 65,000 tenants across the three counties could struggle to pay their rent and risk possible eviction under the changes. That's according to a National Housing Federation report. Well, this morning, we're looking at the impact of the so-called bedroom tax and um, how it could impact you. Welfare reforms will cut the amount of benefit that people can get if they are deemed to have a spare bedroom. MS sufferer Alison lives in a council house in Dunstable with her husband and son. She fears she won't have enough money to pay her rent. The choice we've got is I either leave a house I've lived in for nearly 47 years or we've got to try and make their meagre benefits stretch to pay another £96 a month. We're not sure we'll be able to manage to do this but therefore I don't want to leave a home that has been my home for a long time and, you know, we've managed to keep it nice and I I don't want to have to move away. I mean, people seem to get this idea that a lot of people on benefits are on really a lot of benefit. Yes, we're lucky. We get our rent up until now. Our rent's always been paid for us. But we don't have a a vast amount of money. It works out about £180 a week we get and that is for me and my husband. That's his carer's money and my money. And when we work it out, that'd be about £24 a week we're going to have to find and that's a bill and my electric money for the week and it is going to be difficult we've been told we'd have to economize is what i got told when i went to seek advice i mean i don't know where we're supposed to cut back on we don't go out we don't drink we don't smoke we don't you know we just live hand to mouth week to week and it's going to be very very difficult some people might say your son could help but it shouldn't really come to that should it yes he does and he does help with some stuff he does pay more than he should unfortunately he's been made redundant um and he's working part-time if he can get the work but and and he does help um and yeah and i suppose people will say that but he's not in a situation to pay all of it like that they should if he gets a full-time job the council already said that he will have to pay most of the rent um which is awful to think that then my son will be keeping us 
and this is because I didn't choose not to work. I didn't choose to become ill, and now this is... It's almost, I feel, I'm being punished for being ill, like it is wrong to be ill, and that is how people look at it. I think that a lot of us are lying, we take money we're not entitled to, which isn't true. We don't live on a vast amount of money, and... To leave my home will unsettle me. I can't see in the long run it's going to be very good for me. Along with the physical illnesses, I do suffer with depression. And to be moved out of a home that I've loved and that we try and look after, it's, it's going to be upsetting. Do you see that happening? Could you be forced out of here? Um, I think possibly, yes, we'll lose the house. We'll have to, because I just can't see that we can ongoingly now forever find almost a hundred pounds a month to pay i just can't see where we can cut back and how we can do it so unless something changes yeah i can see that we probably will be forced to move into a smaller place and you know do i want to i want a place where there's a garden we've got a little bit of garden here i can get out into um my illness is a progressive illness there's chances it will get worse we could be moved anywhere where i don't know anyone but if this goes through and we have to pay that extra money month after month, which is putting us below the poverty line, I can't see that we'll be able to stay. And it would be difficult to relocate you to bed and breakfast if it came to that, if a property wasn't available. Oh, most definitely, yeah. I mean, anywhere I go, I need a wet room. I can't do stairs. I need a stair lift. I say that's a physical... I suffer panic attacks. I don't leave the house on my own. I don't mix with people unless I know who they are. They're safe to mix with. To be put in an environment like that, to be, if it come to that, I'd rather not be anywhere. I couldn't do that. Well, that's reporter Ewan Duncan speaking to Alison, who lives in Dunstall. We can talk now to Claire Asprey, who's the National Housing Federation's East of England lead manager, the organisation which has been researching this issue. Morning, Claire. Good morning. How common is Alison's situation? Have you heard from other people also worried about what's going to happen? Absolutely, and we know it, it, you know, it's very common indeed. Um, I think it's really important to focus on that the bedroom tax is going to affect council tenants and housing association tenants of working age, that's below retirement age, um, and you know, that's going to affect around a third of working age uh, council and social housing tenants. Uh, so it's a, it's a big problem, and particularly for disabled people, because about two-thirds of the people affected by bedroom tax are disabled households. And although there is some money um, to help with, uh, with that transition uh, from the government, it won't go anywhere near the, you know, the amount that's needed to make up the difference for everybody. And so what we're trying to do is make sure that people are aware of this is coming in and help them to seek the support that they need. Explain exactly how it works, Claire, for those who are a little bit confused by this term bedroom tax. OK, so uh, the un- it's called the under-occupation penalty. And uh, what it means is that if you're living in a council or housing association property, uh, the rules that apply in the private sector already will then start to apply from April to those households. And it means that you need uh, only one bedroom for each adult or couple. For a child under 10 can share with any other child under 10. Mm. Children over 10 of different sex can have a room of their like a separate room, if you like, uh, but children of the same sex should be able to share up to the age of 16. So, for example, if you're a, uh, in a three-bedroom house, 
you've got, you know, twin boys of 15, uh, you're pretty sure your house is full already, I should imagine, with two ten- teenage boys, but actually you've got a spare bedroom, for example, under these, under these rules. Um, you might not think you've got a spare bedroom, but you have. And this is also going to impact, for example, where disabled people need a separate room for a disabled child or a separate room for a carer or, um, you know, they need separate rooms because of health reasons. That doesn't that doesn't sort of come into the the rules. That's that, there's no exception for that, um, and it also impacts on people who have foster children because foster children don't count when it comes to counting children. Oh, so don't they? Have a house full of foster children, <laughs> right. but they don't actually count even if their bedrooms are being used. So again, it's going to impact upon foster carers as well. If well, tenants are unable to, if tenants can't pay their rent, Claire, is this going to lead inevitably to to evictions? Well, um, we've been talking to um, social housing landlords and we've published some report last week and, you know, about 80, over 80% feel that bedroom tax is going to impact on them and on their, on their tenants. But they're all out there doing things to try and help people. So for a long time, they've been out there trying to help people with budgeting, with banking... And, and, you know, making sure that they can, they can help to move people. And the housing associations are already starting to move people because of this. But I think we have to be realistic. There aren't enough smaller properties to move everybody. And even if every single one or two bedroom property was only given over to letting to people who are downsizing, it still wouldn't be enough. And, of course, you know, they're not meeting the new need that comes through. So it is a difficult situation. People do need to seek advice early on because, you know, ultimately, um, you know, it's possible they could lose the roof over their heads, although that's not what the landlords want to get to. Claire, there are some people who might say, hey, come on, this is a good idea because it makes more rooms available for people who need them rather than having them sit empty or, or hardly used in a lot of cases. Yeah, that, that's, that's fair enough, and we want to know that where people want to downsize and can downsize, that the support is available. But I think we have, you know, we have to say there aren't the smaller homes available in the first place, and it's a big hit for some households to take in, in a fairly short period of time. And I think the other thing to be bearing in mind is that if those households then have to move into private rented accommodation, even where that accommodation is smaller, there's a good chance, actually, that their housing benefits are going to be higher and they're currently paying for a larger property that's a, a social-rented property. So actually, it's not necessarily saving the government any money because it's going to cost more to move into the private-rented sector, particularly in this part of the world. Claire, finally, you, you've raised awareness of this issue and you're continuing to do so, but, but can your organisation wield any influence on this legislation, or is this too late now? Well, the legislation has gone through. Right. Um, we lobbied very, very strongly uh, all the way through Parliament, uh, making the case for these exact kind of cases. And, and unfortunately, uh, the government was uh, keen to implement it as, as it stands. Um, but we are actually you know, tracking the impact, and we will continue to make the case that you know, there are a lot of examples, particularly for disabled households, for example, where, where the house has been adapted for their needs, where you know, this just isn't a very sensible policy. It would cost a lot more to help those people move and then adapt somewhere else. OK, Claire, we have to leave it there. Claire Asprey, uh, National Housing Federation's East of England lead manager. Uh, keen to get your thoughts on this one. What do you think? Should council tenants downsize if they can't afford their properties? I can see both sides. I can see... If, listen, I, my mum lived in an adapted house for a long time and she paid a fortune. She had the kitchen lowered, uh, bars were put everywhere to help her move around, uh, and it was gutting when, we, when she had to sell up and move out. 
but maybe, you know, if you're a family and you've a couple of kids and they've left, they've gone to college or they've moved out and you've got a couple of spare rooms and you use one as an office and, and, and one to store, you know, all your junk, then maybe you should move out, shouldn't you? 08459 four double five five double five. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Oh, hey, guess what? More people than ever are commuting into Milton Keynes to work. Latest figures estimate there were 53,000 people commuting into the new city every day and 18,000 travelling out. You do the math. The number of commuters is expected to rise even further when the next census is out later this year. It's partly down to more businesses moving to Milton Keynes or expanding there. Well, our reporter Jessica Cooper has been to an American blind company which set up its factory in Bletchley last year. Andrew Rich is the plant manager. So we make ecosystems and we make shades. Um, it's more commonly known in the UK as blinds, but as we like to think, we're harvesting the sun, we're using the light that comes from the sun into the buildings. We have electronically controlled products. We have added tr- electronics into the Shard building. Uh, we're just doing some work now at London Bridge Place that's just about to go up. So they're not just shades that go up and down, the shades that can work with your air conditioning, with your lighting system, so we can control buildings and, and save money in the management of a building by harvesting the sun. And you're a, a subsidiary of a, an American company. Um, why have they chosen to have this base here in Milton Keynes? Why not somewhere else? Yeah, the Americans did a lot of work and, and visited a lot of places here in the UK. There's obviously the easy access into London. We've got the trains, uh, uh, the planes and, and the road um, network out of Milton Keynes, up north or to Wales or to wherever. It's, it's, Milton Keynes, we find, was a, was a good place and it satisfied all the things that they were looking for. Since you started then, um, a year or so ago, how has your business grown here? Before we started uh, business, sort of Christmas time last year, there were no staff here at all. So we're up to, I think, we're 16 uh, staff working within the business and we've got another five staff that are out on the road trying to get our sales. So, so apart from two agents that we had previously, they're all newly created uh, jobs. That was Jessica Cooper speaking to Andrew Rich from Mecco Systems, who commutes down from the West Midlands to work in Milton Keynes. Well, Councillor David Hopkins is responsible for economic development at Milton Keynes Council. Morning, David. Good morning. Why do you think more people are commuting into Milton Keynes than ever before? Well, I think many of the reasons have been summed up in some of the early reports. It's a location, it's fantastically uh, well linked, both road, rail and uh, also air from Luton. So people are choosing Milton Keynes because of that. Uh, and I think as well because the whole spirit of Milton Keynes, the infrastructure we've laid out here around the grid roads, etc., um, is very appealing to people. It's just, it's a very welcoming can-do city and I think that's the message that's gone across. And as more and more people invest in Milton Keynes, more and more people are coming to invest in Milton Keynes. Is, it, is Milton Keynes future-proof council? Can it cope with with extra commuters and more traffic and more businesses? Well, we can, actually. I mean, you know, we must make praise to the forefathers of Milton Keynes who designed the grid road system, who who designed the the city as a uh, a very low-density housing area. It's a very appealing area from that point of view. But the grid roads actually are future-proof because not only do they provide a fast road access system now, of course, we're at, you know, we do do have the capacity for rapid transit, public transport system into the future. So, yeah, we are are fit for for the future and uh, open for business. Milton Keynes, it's not even a, a city properly, is it, is it? Even though we refer to it as the new city. Are you going to chase after city status again? I think we'll always pursue city status, uh, but most people do consider Milton Keynes to be a city now. We always seem to refer to Milton Keynes as a city, but it would, do, it would be nice for Her Majesty to give us that formal status, but uh, no pressure. Uh, and what impact is this having on nearby towns? Bedford, for example. 
Well, we're working very closely. Um, the government is, is very keen on the development of the Local Enterprise Partnership, and uh, we're, uh, we're part of SEMLEP, which is the South East Midlands Local Enterprise Partnership. We work very closely with our neighbouring towns, especially Bedford, Luton and, uh, and Northampton, um, and we work in harmony. And a lot of the policies moving forward, especially following the Michael Heseltine review, which was recently published, means that we'll be look, you know, the government will be looking to us to uh, encourage more. And that's very sensible, because people will live in one town, work in another, shop in another, um, and that's the reality of life. So we have to face up to those realities. Uh, thank you very much, David Hopkins, uh, councillor responsible for economic development at Milton Keynes Council. Call 08459 they give it the resounding thumbs down it deserves. It all comes after traces of horses' DNA ended up in the beef burgers of Tesco, Aldi, Lidl and Iceland. To find out more, we have the president of the National Farming Union, Peter Kendall, on the line. He's also a farmer in Bedfordshire. Morning, Peter. Hi, good morning. What's Andy. likely to happen today? Well, I hope they give the thumbs up. You talk about the thumbs down to the labelling. I hope they give the thumbs up to British product. Um, and what we want is more clear labelling of British products. I want more traceability through the supply chain. I want retailers to be loyal to British farmers. We've put so much regulation on our farmers for then retailers to go and scavenge the world for cheap product because they've got this race to the bottom for the cheapest burgers or sausages they can sell. That's just bad for British farmers and it's bad for consumers as well. There's no chance this dirty horse meat comes from Britain then. It's, it's foreign muck, is it? Well, look, you're being very emotive in, in your language. Horse meat's a premium product in parts of, of, of Europe, and it's a, it's a good source of... But yeah, but not, when it's, not when, it's in your, your, when it's in your beef burgers. Uh, look, I think the fact that people are being deceived um, is, is outrageous, and we've got to make sure that doesn't happen. So there's no chance that horse meat came from British... We, all, the, all the work done so far is absolutely clear. This has come from other parts right. of Europe where horse meat is, is much more traditional in, in, in diets. Uh, has anything like this ever happened in the past, Peter? No, but look, we've had food scares. You know, one of the reasons why we ratcheted up the regulation on British farms is we had the ghastly BSE scandal in, in the 1990s, which caused all the exports to be banned from Britain. We were seen to be the bad boys of Europe, and this is all to do with the, the rendering of animal protein in, in feed. And, and it caused us to really raise our game. That's what annoys farmers. We, we're inspected regularly. We have, as I say, all these regulations to meet. Um, and then we find this sort of thing going on. And what we don't want is consumers to lose confidence in the standards we meet here in the UK. There are some people, though, listen, I, I don't eat meat, but my wife does, and we, sh we are lucky enough that when she buys meat for her and the boys, she goes down to the local butchers and gets a nice fresh chop or whatever it is. But there are some people who, who can't afford to do that, and they do rely on these economy burgers and these economy sausages, don't they? Absolutely, and, and look, all I do know is in these straightened times, people are having to make their pounds and pennies go further. My point is, get clear labelling, explain to people what's going on. If you're making up a burger with you know, other uh, vegetable fillers or whatever, put it on the label, let people know what's going on, um, and that way, clear labelling, country of origin labelling, where it's been processed, be honest, and then you know, I accept and I understand that we're all having to, to make the pounds go further.
As the president of the National Farming Union, w- what do you want to see done, Peter? What's your ideal situation here? Well, well look, you know, there's a debate in the, in, sorry, there's a, the EFRA Select Committee meeting just to look at what, what went wrong. I want retailers to work with farmers for the long term, put in, you know, relationships, partnerships, where they say, you keep these chickens and we'll buy them off the end of the day and we're going to worry about what feed costs and we're going to work with you to make sure welfare is you know, improved. Um, long-term partnership with retailers that reward British farmers fairly. Not excessive returns, just make sure they have a fair return for the longer term. Peter Kendall, uh, thank you very much. President of the National Farming Union. Well, we'll follow this story and uh, as it progresses, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, we've been talking about should uh, the, the, the so-called bedroom tax. That's not the official title. Obviously, it's, it's a media thing that makes it a little bit easier to understand. Basically, if you're in, uh, if you're getting benefits or help with your rent, then you might have to pay a little bit more if you've got what is classed as a spare bedroom. Nick in Hitchin says, if you have a council house and have too much room, you have to downsize. But if you're an MP, you can have two houses. Whether you pay rent for council accommodation or rent privately, there is always the chance you may have to move. Uh, and Sharon says, it's ridiculous that retirement age people are going to be exempt from the bedroom tax when they are the very cases where there is often just one person living in a family-sized house. Front pages of the newspapers, is it? Yes, it is. Oh, it is. The Independent. Um, gamb- uh, gamble for Africa. Mali mission sucks in 400 British troops. Here we go again. Here we go again. PM heads for Algeria amid warnings that conflict in region could, get this, drag on for years. Britain's growing military commitment to Mali and West Africa is likely to exceed 400 troops within a matter of weeks, prompting fears of mission creep and cross-party criticism that UK forces are being sucked into a Vietnam-style conflict without a defined exit strategy. Exit strategy. I remember when we went into Iraq the last time and then was going, we've got an exit strategy this time. Oh, yeah, no, we've got an exit strategy this time. We didn't have an exit strategy. That's basically knowing how to get out. The Times tax allowance for married couples to avert gay revolt. David Cameron is under mounting pressure to push through tax breaks for married couples as a way of averting a Tory rupture over gay marriage. Ministers are pressing Downing Street to make a budget announcement in March, implementing the party's promise to reward married couples in the tax system. Cabinet sources told the Times that George Osborne should act sooner rather than later, and that the budget would be a good time to placate an awful lot of people. Uh, the Daily Telegraph. Um, Mr Bean is in a play. <sighs> yep. Uh, oh, look, the Milton Keynes. Galleries, big draw. A hidden £8,000 cheque. To entice visitors to view new art in Milton Keynes, it seems culture alone is not enough. One entrepreneurial artist has apparently resorted to hiding a cheque for eight grand among the works to attract more visitors. Whoever finds it makes it payable to themselves and gets the money. Thomas Georgeson has placed an advertisement promising that it will remain hidden somewhere in the public spaces of Milton Keynes Gallery. I bet it's in the loo. I bet it's in the loo. I bet it is in the cistern. Did you used to hide things in the cistern when you were young? I saw how you do it in the film. You wrap it in a plastic bag. It's how you hide guns and a drug in, uh, guns and drugs in toys. I never hid guns or drugs. I would hid, like, hid toys and things. What was I doing watching films like that as a child? You tie it in a plastic bag. And leave it in there. That's, that's the way. The Express. 79% say we must ban EU migrants. And there's a picture of Susanna Reid. Uh, and, and the Daily Express is kind of doing it as a, hey, look, we're doing a story about a woman that's being really successful. You're not. You've put a, put a hot picture of a hot woman on the front page and you're... 
The Daily Mail, sex probe comic star, 70, weds fiancé, 34. And millions of workers should be tested for drugs. That would be very effective here. And the son, Jeremy Carl, doesn't have cancer. And there's a picture of a prostitute with some sunglasses between her boobs. That's the front pages. On FM, AM and online. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 7.32. Coming up, David Lloyd, the Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire, told this programme that they were still looking to use the security firm G4S to run some police services, as was Bedfordshire Police. Well, now it looks as if the deal has collapsed. What's going on? The Police and Crime Commissioner for Bedfordshire, Ollie Martins, will be joining me in the studio in about 20 minutes' time, and we'll speak to David Lloyd just before nine o'clock. Now, there's the story that's on the front page of some of the newspapers. It's being reported that an artist has hidden a blank cheque for £8,000 somewhere in Milton Keynes Gallery. Thomas Georgeson has apparently put it there in the hope it will raise interest in the town's art scene. You've got until March the 1st to find it. Well, Anthony Spira is the uh, gallery director. Morning, Anthony. Good morning. You're on the front page of, uh, what is it, The Times or The Telegraph? The Telegraph this morning. That's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> it is exciting. I haven't seen it myself, but I'll definitely get a copy when I get you're under. You're under Mr Bean. <laughs> How appropriate. There you go. Is, is, this, <laughs> is this true, or is this all puff and bluster so that we end up talking about your gallery? Uh, absolutely no idea, but either way, it seems to be working. See, hang on a minute, <laughs> you don't know if this is true or not? I, I have no idea, but I can assure you, as soon as I get in, I'll be scouring the gallery and looking for it myself. Very good for you. Do you know this, this artist, Thomas Georgeson? Have you heard of I him? I do know him, yeah, yeah. Is, is he, uh, what is he, is he well known? Is, I, I, my art is, is not too hot these days. What, what kind of stuff does he do? Well, I think of him primarily as a painter, to right. be honest, as, as quite a, um, a good painter, quite a lot of uh, portraiture. He does quite realist painting. Um, so this is, I think, a slightly unusual step for his practice, but he does, he does also do performance art as well. Does he display uh, yeah. in the gallery? I'm sorry? Does he display in your gallery? Uh, I don't think he has displayed yet, but we are launching a huge project this summer, which is called MK Calling, and we're inviting all artists with any connection to Wilford Kings to apply, so I very much hope he'll apply then. Did, can he afford eight grand? That's a lot of money to give away on a whim, isn't it? I have absolutely no idea, but I, as I said, if I find it, I'll be the first to test it. Are you worried, <laughs> Anthony? Because he's, he's, he says he's hidden this, and I guess we have to take him for his word. We, we've not been able to, to get hold of him just yet, although we're constantly trying. Are you worried that maybe he slipped it in a Buddha, or under a, a, a Ming vase, or something like that, that people are going to be <laughs> turning your, your paintings round and lifting up your bits and pieces? And it, That could be a bit dangerous, couldn't it? If only we had Buddhas and Ming vases, oh. I'd be thrilled. No, it's a contemporary art gallery, and, and actually, to be honest, the artists are exhibiting at the moment. They're really important Swiss artists, but um, their practice is basically to turn the world upside down. So visitors to the gallery will, will already find um, recycled, abandoned Christmas trees stuck to the ceiling, for example. Uh, what? So it'll be, yeah, it'll be a Who bit of an that? adventure for Who, visitors. Who did that? You should report them. That's vandalism. <laughs> well, the Christmas trees are just abandoned in the streets, so it's finding a, a, another use. It's recycling them, extending their lives. By hanging it on a ceiling? It's on the ceiling, exactly. Anthony, you're bonkers! 
What's wrong with a good old-fashioned painting in a frame? Come on now. Well, no, there are a lot of good old-fashioned paintings good. in frames as well, but we like to mix it up, and, and some people like sculptures and installations, um, as well as paintings and I'm drawings. being so slightly flippant, Anthony. I enjoy all of that stuff. Listen, stay on the line for a second, because uh, our uh, art correspondent, Justin Dealey, is, I believe, you're outside the gallery, aren't you? Yes, they? Ian, I am indeed, and I have to say, Ian, <laughs> excitement is in the air. Really? When I arrived this morning, I said to people, the Milson Keynes Art Gallery, nah, not interested, mate. And I said, well, there's £8,000 in there. Oh, yeah, it's us more so straight away this has got people interested i've been talking to people in the local area this morning and this is what they had to say anthony have a listen to this and comment afterwards mohammed you have never been into the mk gallery now there's a check for eight thousand pounds you're going to be going in now yeah of course i am (laughs) (laughs) you're going to be in there if you were to find it what would you spend the money on uh, I'm not sure yet, mate. Yeah. But you're definitely sure going to be going in to have a look? Yeah, definitely going in, mate. Going in there now if it's open. <laughs> <laughs> Opens at midday. <laughs> midday, yeah. I'll be the first one in, mate. Well, Karen, like most people I've spoken to this morning, you've never been inside that gallery to our right hand side over there. This unsigned check, that's going to get you in there, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and what would you spend the money on? My daughter's getting married this year, so that would go towards that. be absolutely perfect. But how far would you go? Would you quite literally tip the place upside down to find it? No, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) You just have a casual look? Yes. Now, Suzette, you have been inside the MK Art Gallery. What's it like in there? Very nice, very modern, um, very spacious and very clean. You're catching a bus now on the way to work. On the way back, will you be popping in there to try and find this £8,000 check? I certainly will. Thank you very (laughs) much. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Well, here's somebody who is an artist. Um, tell us what you do. I do landscapes, artists, cartoons, you name it. I just put my hand to it. So somebody who is artistic, the last time you were inside that building was two years ago. What was your experience like inside that building? Oh, it's amazing. You know, you, the new art today is just fantastic. Uh, it's been a while. Now there's a cheque for, for £8,000 in there. When are you next going to the MK Art Gallery? <laughs> Probably in about five, ten minutes <laughs> if I get a chance. So straight away? <laughs> yeah, more or less. But it's a fantastic idea because it's going to get people in there, isn't it? It will do. It'll bring a lot of people in there. Well, madam, you're wearing a very artistic jacket this morning, looking very <laughs> smooth here in Milson Keynes. Um, the MK Art Gallery, have you ever been inside the building? No. No? No, not, not at, at all. all. No. OK, so this cheque for £8,000, would that get you in the building? No. It's £8,000. Yes, but somebody else is going to find it. You don't need £8,000, do you, anyway? <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> got to be in it to win it just you have you have ian you know you've heard some comments there a lot of people have never been inside the gallery before all this talk about this unsigned check in there somewhere for eight thousand pounds it certainly got them interested and if there is a check in there of course somebody is going to find that but 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 the advantage is of course so many people uh, and just a a small band of those there that have never been there before but will be going in there later on today it kind of makes me want to ask the question have they got security measures in place for all these extra people that are going to be turning the, the art gallery upside down trying to find this £8,000 cheque. Well, we can put that directly to the, the gallery director. Anthony, are, are you? Uh, do you have security there? Are you ready for people to come rushing through? It sounds like you're going to be busy. <laughs> I hope we'll, we will be busy. Um, we'll we'll certain, certainly get some more people um, in the gallery to keep an eye on it. But as I said, most of the gallery's already been turned upside down. So so hopefully that'll um, that'll add to the uh, to the treasure hunt uh, aspect of this whole. Right, Anthony, story. I want Anthony. I want an honest answer from you. Okay, hand on heart, do you or your staff know anything about this check? Seriously, I know nothing about it. Do your staff know anything about it? 
they they knew nothing about it. Okay, okay. I'm just I'm looking into your eyes. <laughs> I think but I think I can assure you, everyone will be in there before the gallery opens, looking for. Yeah, it. <laughs> I bet you will. So it's like Justin, you're you're going to go in there and have a little look around, <laughs> aren't you? Route around. I'm, I'm sticking around till midday. Um, so I'll be in the queue from around what um, 7:42 uh, when this broadcast is over. I'm going to be first in that queue because I tell you what, I could do with eight thousand pounds, like many people. I'm going to be there. Anthony, let, is there anyone there now? Can you let Justin in early to have a little sneaky peek? We are. Yeah, I probably can. Yeah, I'll he, give someone a call and he can he can definitely have a look around. There we go, Justin. We've sorted oh, it out. Brilliant. Look, you're going in there. Thank you. Thank, thank, thank you, you very, very much. much. All right, gentlemen. Thank you, Justin Dealey. We'll be inside the gallery having a route through. And Anthony Spiro, the gallery director, thank you very much indeed. There's eight grand hidden somewhere in the Milton Keynes Gallery. Apparently, according to this artist. Hey, if anyone knows this artist, Thomas Georgeson, maybe he lives next door to you. Um, you know, may- maybe he lives up- maybe he pops into your newsagents and buys a copy of The Star. If you know him, get him to give us a call. 08459 455 555. Get him on the line. We're trying to get hold of him and uh, we're failing miserably. It'd be good to talk to him before the end of the show, wouldn't it? Call 08459-455-555-BBC3CountiesRadio。Now,if-you-live-in-a-council-property-changes-to-benefits-come-in-effect-in-April,basically,you-might-have-to-pay-more-rent-or-be-booted-out-if-you've-got-what-is-classed-as-
and he's exempt from paying. He said, the only way they'd get me out of here is to carry me out in a box. Oh, blimey. So he said, I'm not giving up my place. And I said, so how many bedrooms have you got? He said, five bedrooms. Wowzers. I mean, that is a heck of a lot. That is a lot of bedrooms. It is. It certainly is, yeah. It, it does seem a little bit um, uh, uh, one-sided, and we're certainly, he- certainly hearing stories. How long have you been in this house for, Lorraine? Almost 11 years, but I'm epileptic, and I need that spare room at times for people to sort of, like, stay. Yeah. And they said that doesn't cut no ice at all. I, you know, so you've, you've I, spoken to the council about this. Uh, has it been a frustrating experience? Well, it certainly will. I mean, I have panic attacks. Yeah. And when, I mean, because mine is housing association. Yeah. And when I went to see them, you know, I said, well, I got this place because I lived with my mum all my life and Mm. I was a carer for her. I stayed temporary succession of the other place and exchanged. But I'm secure where I am. Yeah. And I have people that help me if I'm ill and things like that, you know. And I'm frightened. It's going to be a heck of a upheaval if I'm It's a stressful thing. Lorraine, listen, we've got to leave that. It's a stressful thing, moving. Listen, I'm moving next week through my own choice. I'm already having anxious anxious dreams. Uh, Lorraine, in Milton Keynes, thank you. You've got to find an extra 60 quid a month to cover that. On the other side, she spends a tenner a week on cigarettes. 22 quid a month on sky there are some people that would say those are luxuries and that that would if she got rid of both of those things and hey listen the free sat there's so many channels you can get for free these days i'm thinking of getting rid of my my package saving a few quid any sympathy for someone like lorraine now a deal to use the security firm at the heart of the olympic staffing debacle to run some police services in beds and hearts looks to have collapsed the police commissioners of beds hearts and cambridgeshire met last night and discussed the deal well the pccs of hearts and beds always disagreed over this ollie martins the bedfordshire commissioner joins me now morning ollie morning in we were just saying twitter was ablaze with you last night yeah everyone got very excited by this seems to be quite a lot of interest in the uh, in the g4s development yeah so basically what what happened last night what was decided last night uh, well the three of us considered a report that was fo- put forward by the uh, three chief constables uh, which basically identified that the links lincolnshire g4s contract that we've been looking at was not suitable to our needs so what does that mean then How, so, so you're not going to get rid of the backroom staff you're not going to replace them with private sector well, it means that we're not going to get G4S in uh, together with the other subcontractors that they were looking at mm. um, to run things like human resources and finance and estates. So those functions won't be going to G4S, which had been the proposal that we were looking at. So, so they're going to remain in-house or they could possibly go to another be outsourced to another company well this is where we're now going to have some interesting discussions between the the three pccs what would you like to see happen uh i'm philosophically i prefer public services that are delivered by public servants um the conservative philosophy of the other two pccs is probably a bit different from that Mm. so we're going to have to have some discussions and we're probably all going to have to be a little bit pragmatic but i think the thing to remember is what unites us is we're all trying to do the same thing Mm -hmm. which is provide the best police service possible for the public out there and do as much as we can to protect the front line at a time of difficult finances in the police service you were against g4s i know that david lloyd 
wasn't necessarily against G4S. Were you the, the, the one, the kind of sticking point? Well, the report that we received from the three chief constables we, was unanimous. When did you receive of, that report? That was yesterday. Okay. So in terms of the risks with the Lincolnshire contract that it identified for us, I mean, their recommendation was unanimous. And when the three PCCs considered it, we were also unanimous. So we were all on the, all on the same page on this. Uh, G4S uh, are a little bit upset because obviously this was a big gig for them. Uh, and they're saying that they could have saved you, hundred, I think, £100 million over 10 years. Yeah. Big well, savings. They also said that they were going to deliver uh, Olympic security and that went well, didn't it? Well, yeah, there are some people who would, would suggest that perhaps that was, uh, was slightly farcical. So you're, you're kind of keen to keep it in-house. If you stay at that position, the other two will have to follow with you, won't they? Otherwise it breaks up that, that kind of partnership you set up. Well, I mean, the reason why I didn't just come into office and say we're not doing G4S and why I kept talking about things with my uh, other two colleagues was that I hoped we would all arrive on the same page and that eventually we'd all draw the same conclusion about that contract. Um, and I'm glad that that's happened. Um, and the reason that I stayed in the room is because I value what the strategic alliance between the three forces has achieved. Um, and that's why I will stay in the room and keep keep talking to my other two colleagues and why you know i think with a little bit of give and take mm. we should be able to find a way in which we can carry on getting good things out of the strategic alliance are you saying there is no chance that this uh, alliance between the three uh, the three forces could break down i don't i don't think so no because i think i think we all all three of us appreciate what it's achieved for our separate forces and for the the public in the three counties that we serve um, and I think we can see that it can deliver more good things uh, in terms of transforming the way that police services are delivered um, and protecting the front line I don't know how this works, maybe you can explain has money, have the police forces spent money on investigating the pros prospect of G4S coming in and if so how much I don't know those I don't know those figures and obviously that would be shared between the right. the three forces. I mean uh, yeah, I mean staff time has certainly been put into it, but it hasn't I mean it's not gone to waste. I mean if nothing else it has allowed us to benchmark our services um and provide us with some information that we can use in terms of how we now go forward. But what, what, what I mean would it be thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions? How much is, is, is you must have a rough idea of what's been wasted on this? Uh, well, like I say, I don't think it's been wasted. And I mean, the other thing to remember is that this G4S contract was only one option mm. um, and that work on what's called option 10 um, has been proceeding alongside it in Bedfordshire. Um, and I've got to say that the way that the staff have engaged with that in terms of carrying out fundamental reviews of why we do what we do and how we do it, um, you know, a lot of good work has been going, along, going on at the same time. But so you don't know how much money was spent on the, the, the investigating G4S? I don't have a precise figure, no. Rough figure? No. <laughs> but, I mean, is it, is it hundreds of thousands? Is it millions? This, this is... I don't think it's going to be millions. Hundreds no. of thousands? I mean, this isn't, this isn't the sort of level at which I'm involved on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. OK. So you don't know if the police have spent hundreds of thousands of pounds investigating It G4S. wouldn't... Like I say, it's not... You know, we're... You're going to spend... You're going to use some resource and spend some money looking in investigating what is the best way to deliver these mm -hmm. services of course you are, but uh, i'm just trying to get a rough figure so that because i know that cuts are being made throughout the police force uh, and people are losing their jobs and i do think that people will be interested to know 
that uh, you say that the G4S did a pretty poor service at the Olympics. That was that was last year. If it's if it's been going ongoing for another six seven months after that, this investigation, and it's cost hundreds of thousands of pounds, then people would rightly, I think, say, well, look, that's we, a waste of money. We have there is between the three por- forces a collaboration team. And that collaboration team does a number of things, amongst which was looking at the G4S contract. But the other things it looks at are all the services that have already been collaborated and all the services where collaboration is ongoing. So that team is there, and their job is to drive this collaboration process. So, you know, they, they've been doing other things mm. alongside the work that they've been doing on G4S. OK. Where are you going to make savings? Because savings have to be made, don't they? Well, we're going to make savings, I anticipate, through closer collaboration on... Um, on the things uh, that we've been looking at, like estates, like human resources and like finance, Mm. potentially. Is there a worry? I mean, we're only a couple of months into the job and already there are disagreements. Is there a worry that this is uh, uh, the the way that politics are creeping in uh, into how the forces are run? Because we were promised that politics wouldn't be a part of this. I think you're getting it completely wrong. Go on. And that actually there was, you know, we've all arrived on the same page. Mm. Um, and that there is quite a lot of consensus. Uh, we're all sensible. We know that we come from different philosophical positions, but we know that there are strong advantages to working together. And, you know, I think that's the way in which we'll now proceed. You're looking into uh, raising council tax as well, and Hearts is freezing its, its preset. What do, you, what do you feel about that? Well, Hearts elected a Conservative PCC in there big on keeping okay. taxes down. You just said it's not politics, and then you've just... The no, next, no, very next no. thing you've mentioned, these are Conservatives. No, the point I'm making is that people have made their decisions in the respective counties. Right. Um, and that's what you get when you when you make those decisions. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't mean that we can't work together right. on, on things where it makes sense for us to work it's together. It's interesting, isn't it, though? You did just say that politics nothing to do with this, and then the very next thing you said he's a Conservative. Yes, but that's what happens at elections, isn't it? Different candidates with different priorities get right. elected. So politics but is a part once, of it. But, well, it's part of the discussion, but once right. the election has taken place, politicians of different shades then have a responsibility to work together. You know, and I've been very encouraged. I mean, Bedfordshire is um, a very diverse county mm. with very diverse politics. You've got a very strong Labour council in Luton, you've got a very strongly Conservative council in Central Beds and a Lib Dem mayor in Bedfordshire. Mm. And I have a cross-county brief, um, and I need to be able to work with all of those mm. people. Uh, and that's what I'm determined to do. Two months in, are you enjoying the job? Is it, is it yeah, what you expect it to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's very good. It's, uh, it is, uh, it's hard work, but it's a real privilege. It's fascinating to watch. I mean, this is, this is history is being made. You know, we are watching a, a new position kind of evolve and grow, and all of this stuff, it's fascinating to watch and see how it happens. I, is it what you imagined? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think I was uh, close enough to politics to know what to expect. OK, yeah. listen, thank you very much for coming in. Always right. nice to see you. Uh, Ollie Martins, Bedfordshire Commissioner. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. You can, of course, go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Here's a question. Oh, yeah. Like, is art Christmas trees hanging upside down from the ceiling, which is apparently on display at Milton Keynes uh, Gallery, or is it um, pictures of ladies with a little bit of knocker showing in a frame? Doesn't it depend on what it's saying? What's a Christmas tree upside down saying? Well, maybe it's talking about commercialism and... I don't know, I've not seen it. Ooh. Have you seen it? No, but I can, imagine, I can imagine what a Christmas tree on a ceiling looks like. I know, but it's the way it's done. Idiot. I thought that's the whole point. Idiot. Oh. Go away. My bit now. It's my bit now.
I like it when uh, Catherine Boyle um, uh, tries to get all, all arty and clever <laughs> and fails. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I think I've woken up at last. Sorry. The last two hours were good, but I would say a little bit sluggish. That's my fault, not yours. Not yours, my fault. I've woken up. I've had a strong coffee. Ooh, ooh, I've got a nice buzz going. A caffeine buzz. Yes, I know. Let's rattle through this last hour, shall we? It's packed full of good content. Good enough to make a sandwich out of. Thousands of council tenants in the three counties could get less money to pay their rent from April because they have too many bedrooms. Should they downsize if they can't afford their properties? We'll hear from a Letchworth man who says he's had great difficulty downsizing. It's been reported that an artist has hidden a cheque for £8,000 in Milton Keynes to try and raise the profile of the area's art scene. The director of the gallery has told this programme he's got no idea if it's in there. Well, we persuaded him to let our art correspondent, Justin Daly, in to have a look around. If he finds it, he's going to buy me breakfast at the local Greasy Spoon. Oh! And the Office of Fair Trading will today publish the findings of its review of petrol prices in the UK. I'll tell you what, it's well expensive. We'll preview what's going to be said. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text 3CR. Put your name on it, otherwise I'm not going to read it. And best way to come on is you can give me a phone call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm really into kind of saving petrol, just for my own pleasure at the moment. Not saving it as in I put it in little bottles and keep it under the bed. That's crazy. But trying to conserve my petrol usage. Got a six-year-old polo. And for the last two years, I know this is so sad. I know this is sad, but this is one of the things that keeps me young and happy. For the last two years, I've been trying to get... Uh, over 400 miles out of one tank of petrol. And I get to 378, 382. My highest was 387. Yesterday, 405 miles. I did it! I totally did it! And I was so excited. It was, it was touch and go. It was, you know, it was way, way, way on the empty gauge. And it was, you know, I was driving on fumes. 405 miles for one tank of petrol. That's brilliant, isn't it? Driving slowly, pumped up my tyres, took all the junk out. Wonderful. Yeah, I know. That's good. Is it good? We'll discuss petrol in a little bit. Now, if you live in a council property... You may be worried about changes to the benefit systems uh, system, which comes into effect in April. More than 65,000 tenants across the three counties could struggle to pay their rent and risk possible eviction under the changes. That's according to a National Housing Federation report. Well, this morning we're looking at the impact the so-called bedroom, tra- bedroom tax could have. Welfare reforms will cut the amount of benefit that people can get if they are deemed to have a spare bedroom. Multiple sclerosis sufferer Alison lives in a council house in Dunstable with her husband and son. She fears she won't have enough money to pay her rent. I don't know where we're supposed to cut back on. We don't go out, we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't... You know, we just live hand-to-mouth, week-to-week, and it's going to be very, very difficult. And this is because I didn't choose not to work. I didn't choose to become ill. Um, And now this is... It's almost, I feel... I'm being punished for being ill, like it is wrong to be ill, and that is how people look at it. I think that a lot of us are lying, we take money we're not entitled to, which isn't true. We don't live on a vast amount of money, and to leave my home will unsettle me. I can't see in the long run it's going to be very good for me, along with 
the physical illnesses. I do suffer with depression. And to be moved out of a home that I've loved and that we try and look after, it's going to be upsetting because I just can't see that we can ongoingly now forever find almost £100 a month to pay. I just can't see where we can cut back and how we can do it. So unless something changes, yeah, I can see that we probably will be forced to move into a smaller place. Well, that was you and Duncan there speaking to uh, a resident who's concerned about this. We can talk now to David Delaney from Letchworth, who's been trying to move to a smaller flat for some time. Morning, David. Morning. What's your experience of trying to downsize the property that you rent? Um, well, uh, the local area has a, a scheme on home swap, which is a website, and basically you sort of uh, you, you ask people when, whether they want to come and look at your place, whether you want to look at theirs. And as soon as people discover I'm in a flat... They're not interested. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, everyone wants gardens. I can understand that. Yeah. Um, you know, I live in a three-bedroom flat. Oh, nice. What's the, yeah, it, it, it's very nice, actually, but, you know, I don't need it. Um, I live on my own, so I only need a one-bed. I, op- I was given this when I, when I moved in here because my son at the time was younger and um, was staying with me quite a lot, and their policy at the time was anything above first floor. doesn't matter if it's two-bed, three-bed. You, you take it, and that's the way it goes. So how long have you been there, David? Um, about 13 years. OK, so you've been there a while. Yep. Uh, are you worried about these benefit changes? Is, is, is oh, it yeah, going to affect you? Definitely. I mean, I, I've just had uh, my medical for the um, swap over to ESA, and like most people that take that medical, I failed it. Yep. Um, so I'm now waiting to find out whether I can go on to job seekers. Then, I'm, then obviously we've got the council tax change and the housing benefit change, and I know for a fact that I'm going to be at least a hundred pound a month worse off. And as the previous lady said, where are we supposed to find this from? Well, I have to ask the same questions that I asked her. Did you smoke, David? I don't smoke. Do you have Sky? I don't have. I don't. I can't even afford a TV license. Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, what what are your options then? The the options basically are to go back on the housing register. Um, and then be told, oh, you know, I'm adequately housed, and that could take God knows how long to change, or to, um, you know, try and get some help to downsize. Now, my the local area, their policy is to help people in three-bedroom houses because apparently three-bedroom houses are their largest, um, what, they've got the, what they've got the most of. So they're trying to encourage people to move out of three-bedroom houses. Problem is, is a lot of people in the three-bedroom houses are over the age where the benefit changes are going to affect them. Right, so they're, so they're not affected by these benefit changes, so they won't have to pay for their spare rooms. Yeah. You know, they don't have to move. They, you know, they're sort of in, in, in their sixth in where they don't have to move because they're I, not affected by it. I would have thought a three-bedroom flat... I would have thought there would have been people banging down your door to get a three-bedroom flat. Is people it? Is it a dump or something? Do you live in a dump, David? No, no. It's, it's really a nice, nice place. It's very nice. It's, I'm surrounded by greenery. Um, you know, it, it, people just say, oh, it's too many floors, or, you know, they find... It's like, like a lot of places. You have a, you live on an estate, and everyone else thinks that estate's horrible. Yeah. It's not. Um, I grew up in South in, in London, on, on council estates in London. Right around here is nothing like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, and people say that, and they and they hear it, and then suddenly they're not interested anymore. I mean, I've, I've, I think I've been on Home Swapper for about five, six years, and I 
think I've probably had less than ten people come and look. And sorry, this home stopper thing, is this run by the council? It's, uh, it's not actually run by the council, right. but they, um, they've got an agreement that they pay the um, fees for oh. council tenants. And, so, and, and the council, just to, just to clarify, what exactly have the council said when you've spoken to them about your concern about this, this, this uh, tax and the fact that you want to get out? Um, basically, they turned around and said there's not a lot they can do because at the moment their policy is to assist people in three-bedroom houses. Oh, that's useful, isn't it? It is, isn't it? So you're going to end up spending £100 a month, extra, minimum. minimum, and there's nothing the council can do to help? No, not at the moment. Hopefully they're changing their policy, but that might not be till May or June. How is this making you feel, David? Um, very happy. Not. I'm, yeah, I'm literally getting to the point where I'm, I'm, I'm contemplating, as a, as a joke to people, moving into my garage, because at least it's cheaper. Oh, blimey. Well, don't, David, don't do that, for goodness sake. David Delaney, thank you very much for that, from Letchworth. Three-bedroom flat? I would have thought people would have been... Unless, and he says it's a very nice area. Nice flat. Three-bedroom flat, fantastic. He can't get out of there. Going to end up paying at least £100 a month extra. He's r- concerned. 08459 455 555. Emily, you're in Aylesbury. You're, you're in support of this bedroom tax, are you? Yes, I certainly am in support of it. Tell me I'm why. I'm aware of a number of people whose children have now grown up, flown the nest, and they're still living in quite large council properties with a threat, spare three bedrooms. Right. Um, I do know of, obviously, there are lots of people on the council waiting list that are bidding weekly and cannot into properties to, and they've got children who are sharing bedrooms, three children in one bedroom. Um, so yes, I'm definitely in support of it. Uh, what about the, some of the, the, the stories we've heard, like David just there, who um, is going to get penalised, even though for the last five years he's been trying to downsize, and we also heard earlier from Alison, who's got MS, uh, and the, her house has been completely modified to cope for her mm. condition. She's going to be well, penalised, isn't she? Yeah. Exactly, and there will be cases whereby people won't be able to, well, they would be best to stay in the property. It's going to cost more money. It wouldn't be cost-beneficial to actually move them to a smaller property. And in cases like that, if I was to work for the council, I think maybe they should be looked at on a case-by-case basis and perhaps um, kept in the property instead of moving them. Also, with David, I didn't really hear the full conversation, but um, why why would he be penalised? Well, because he's going to have to pay the extra money because he's got two spare rooms and he's been trying to move out. Yeah, and I think as well then, things that I think perhaps the council needs to then have a look at cases like that, and um, that I, perhaps if they've been trying and been on a waiting list for over a certain period of time and have been actively bidding, then perhaps they should hold off on the um, the penalising of... Emily, v- finally, I don't know if you heard we spoke to Lorraine earlier on, she's going to end up paying j- just under £60 uh, a month extra because of this tax, uh, but mm. she smokes and she's got Sky. Have you got any sympathy for her at all? None at all. I'm a single working parent. I've been on the council waiting list for many years and um, I am a teacher and I'm unable to pay for Sky. I do not have money to smoke, pay for Sky and go out every weekend. So, absolutely no. Okay, Emily, thank you very much indeed. Well, later on, JVS will be continuing to talk about bedroom tax on his phone-in. He'll be with me in a couple of minutes to tell me exactly... I can see him waltzing down the corridor. I'll pop in in a minute and tell us exactly what he's banging on about today. 
Let's get banging on. How rude. Let's get the travel news now. Here's Alan. Well, listen, you've uh, done it privately. I have to ask you to do it on air. Could I please have your Justin Dealey impression? My Justin Dealey impression? I'll do my Justin Dealey if yeah, you do okay, yours. Okay, you do it. You do yours first. All right, girls, all right, girls, all right. I've got a cracking story. Every, stop everything. I've got a cracking story. Basically, what's happening down at Milton Keynes is you see what's going on there. They've got all these geezers there. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go down there. Bish, bash, bash. Wallop. He's not Kerry Pollard. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Kerry Pollard. Well, you do your impression of him. You got it with, uh, with Justin. You got to get the teeth. Because there's always that kind of you've got to get that, that kind of he's, he's got he's got teeth prominent teeth right? that's Cliff Richards. I'm going to tell you something right, and I'm not I'm not even lying about this right. This is serious. No, seriously, this is the truth. It's that kind of tone, all right? If anybody, for the next, seriously, between now and nine o'clock, we're having a Justin Dealey impersonation competition. If anybody wants to phone in uh, and impersonate Justin Dealey, 08459 455 555, you will be given priority on this show, whatever we're talking about, even if we're talking about Milton Keynes. Really? Yeah. Anybody can come on and do an impression of Justin? Anybody can come on and do an impression of Justin. 08459 455 555. Sony Gold. It will be. I'll be tuned. I like your shirt. Thanks very much. Yes, I like this as well. Could I have it? So I bought no. Rude. What's on your show this morning? Coming up on the big phone this morning, picking up on this bedroom tax story you've yes. been discussing this morning. Yes. It's interesting, isn't it? I'm asking should council tenants with spare rooms be forced to downsize? The National Housing Federation fears changes to the benefit system will leave more than 65,000 council tenants in the three counties struggling to pay their rent. Well, from nine today, I want to hear your views on this. Do you think council tenants who do have a spare room, should they be forced to downsize? And I'm sure the government would argue, well, hang on a minute, we're not forcing people to downsize. Well, you are really, aren't you? I mean, if, if somebody's living on benefits and if they've got benefits that just about pay their way yep. and suddenly you say, oh, well, you've got to pay £13 extra a week out of those benefits and you've not got £13, what are you going to do? You're going to have to move out, aren't you? Mm. So it is being forced. But is that a positive thing? From nine, I want to hear your views on this. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Should council tenants with spare rooms be forced to downsize? We'll discuss it from nine. I'm anxious to find out why you're smiling. What's come two, through about Justin? Two things. Two things. You, you said something, and I, di- I thought I didn't really register because I don't really listen. Uh, when I did my Justin Dealey impersonation, you said I sounded like Kerry Pollard. Oh, Paul, I meant Vicky Pollard. Paul, Paul Scoyne, political reporter. <laughs> Tell JVS he means Vicky Pollard, Vicky not Pollard. former St Albans MP, Kerry Pollard. <laughs> it's true. Who's northern? <laughs> <laughs> and Justin Dealey's with us now. Morning, Justin. Yes, hello, Ian. <laughs> all right, Josh. Yeah, all right, how's, James. How's all everything right. going there, Josh? Yeah, it's yeah, going all right. right. It's going fine, thank you. Yeah. Fine. All right, girls, I've got this cracking story. What's going to happen is I'm going to go dive in. Bish, bash, bosh. Wallop. you two quite finished yet? <laughs> Justin, we are... I, sh- I am throwing this out to the listener. We are having mm. an impersonate Justin Dealey competition now. No prize. Just for right. fun. Uh, mm. And if you want if you want to get... If you want to impersonate me, Justin Dealey, 08459 four double five five double five. Try and try and beat the record bank. I've got a million songs in here. You'll never beat it. <laughs> Sounds like great fun. Sounds like bullying, actually. <laughs> I'm go- oh, I'll deal with this later. Oh, I'll be dealing with it later. The bullying, bullying mm. card. Mm. Uh, well, do you want to try and do an imp- <laughs> Would you like to do an impersonation of JVS? Oh yes, coming up on a phone in today. Uh, it's a big, big phone in today. Give us a call right now. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I'm Jonathan Vernon <laughs> Smith on BBC Three County. Radio. How was that? That was actually excellent. Yeah. I thought it was <laughs> That's that, yeah, why they seem to stand in for you because I sounded like you. Oh, well, I put the accent you. on. It's exactly what you sound like. Yeah, I dare you. I'm only going to say this, and I shouldn't say this. <laughs> this is only my opinion, not the opinion of the BBC. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. <laughs> right, you girls, <laughs> girls, swap places. Stop it. Right, Jonathan, out you go. Thank Thanks you very much very indeed. Much. Excellent stuff. Bye, Josh. Yeah, oh, see yeah, you, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, James. <laughs> oh, dear.
Sorry, me. You're so naughty. <laughs> now, the reason that we've got uh, Justin Dealey on the line is because the director of the Milton Keynes Gallery has told this programme he's got no idea if a cheque for £8,000 is actually hidden in the building. It's been reported that artist Thomas Georgeson put it in there yesterday in the hope it will raise interest in the town's art scene. Sorry. You've got until March the 1st to find it. Well, our JVS impersonator, <laughs> correspondent Justin Dealey, you've been at the gallery since 6.30 this morning and you promise you're going to buy me breakfast from the greasy spoon round the corner if you find this check if i find this unsigned check for eight thousand pounds i find it fascinating that the people here know nothing about this it's yep. on the front page of the telegraph everyone is talking about this this morning the idea is it's quite simply to to get people through the doors because yes. if you've got no interest in art you're not going to go in there but if somebody says hang on eight thousand pounds what do you think about that that's going to get you through the doors in the first place but a number of people very skeptical about this as well i've been getting views locally here this morning and this is what people have had to say well cheryl we can see the milton Keynes art gallery just over there to our left hand side have you ever been inside the gallery before no i haven't never before okay this check of eight thousand pounds it could be yours will you now go to the gallery i will go and have a look <laughs> yeah it opens at midday does it you're going to be first in the queue hopefully <laughs> And you got your daughter with you today. Yeah. What would you spend £8,000 on, apart from buying me a drink? Disneyland. That would be a magical holiday. It would be, yeah. <laughs> well, Matthew, some people are very excited about this, but, but you don't think this cheque exists, do you? Well, it's not that I don't think it doesn't exist. It's just a massive ploy that it might not exist. It could just be a way of bringing people in. So when you finish work, then, you won't be rushing across to the art gallery? Probably not. I'll probably go, be going out of bed. I've been, I've been up since three, I've been here since yeah. five. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about later in the week? Will you go later in the week? Possibly. Yeah. Depends. It depends on the height. See how big the buzz is before, you know. <laughs> OK, Tony, the MKR Gallery, just over there to our left-hand side. Have you ever been inside that building? No. There's a cheque, an unsigned cheque for £8,000. Will you now go inside that building? <laughs> if I've got time, yes. <laughs> and what would you spend the money on? Probably on the house. Yeah. And a few beers? Yeah, yeah, a couple of beers, yeah, yeah. So if you find time, you're in there today, if not tomorrow. Yes, definitely. What was interesting, that fellow getting all existential and Schrodinger yeah. there, I'm not saying that check doesn't exist, yeah. I'm just saying that there's a possibility it doesn't <laughs> exist. Brilliant! Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Apparently this check is inside the building. You have until March the 1st to claim it. The first person who finds this unsigned check gets to keep it. And £8,000 is a lot of money. Now, have you been in there, Just? I have been in there. Okay. The, the, the actual art gallery itself opens at midday. Yeah. I was the first person Ooh. through the doors, and let me tell you something, the yes. staff had to come in to open this place early. Good. They looked very arty, they certainly weren't happy, they had to come in to work early. When you say they looked very arty, yes, yes. were they wearing glasses and had funny uh, haircuts? <laughs> Is that what you mean? Wearing glasses, had a very cool little tash as well, an unusual jacket. These are <laughs> an arty unusual types. unusual jacket? Yes, what an unusual what jacket. What does that mean? Well, do you know what? i tell you something. <laughs> I saw this person in Costa Coffee earlier on, and I said to him, can I talk to you about the art gallery? And he said, I work there. I'm going to let you in. And I said, you know what? I thought that was you, because you look arty. You've got an you unusual jacket. <laughs> so, so I was the first in the building. I was in there a few moments ago, Ian, and I spoke to Simon, and this is what happened. OK, Simon, we're in a, a very dark room here. I can see a few people kicking cans, I can see a lorry on a motorway, and I saw a pussycat in an underpass a moment ago. Simon, what on earth is going on in this room? Um, so, uh, welcome to the gallery. Uh, we're in a room of videos by the Swiss artist Eric Hattan. 
Um, he uh, works with his, uh, his partner, uh, Sylvia Bashley. So this is a collaborative exhibition. But in this room here, we've got uh, five or six different videos that Eric's made. Some are from uh, around the world and some are kind of videos from Milton Keynes, particularly in some of the underpasses and the market in Milton Keynes. Is this really art, though? Um, I think art is whatever you make it, really. Um, I think Eric's really interested in just kind of exploring the world around him and there's uh, the very kind of simple little actions that you kind of come across every day that you might not think is art, but once it's in the context of a gallery, then it does become art. OK, just lastly, I know that your communications manager is on the way. You know nothing about this cheque of £8,000, do you? Absolutely nothing at all. No, we only really found out uh, yesterday, actually, uh, from uh, something on the Telegraph online. So, yeah, that's the first thing. You know nothing at all? Absolutely nothing (laughs) at all. I'm not going to get up a look. Simon, thank you very much. Okay. That was Simon. So, uh, Ian, um, a black pussycat in an underpass on a big TV screen with some weird music in the background. Apparently, that's art. I love stuff. I do love stuff like that. Mm. I love modern art with the videos and the silly... I think it's wonderful. Yeah, some would probably disagree, but... Um, you yeah, it was you the... think an unusual jacket is arty. <laughs> what did you can th- tell them a mile off, can't you? Come on. <laughs> you can tell them a mile off! Oh, dear! Oh, dear. Have, did you find the cheque? Am I going to get a free breakfast well, out of you? Do you know what? I'm about to go back into the building, because yeah. as I mentioned there with Simon, yeah. uh, the communications <laughs> manager he is very, very high up. That person... They are on their way right now, okay. and I'll be looking around the building. I've had a look on the uh, the bottom floor, yes. and apart from seeing a few videos, I couldn't really see no. anything that may resemble a cheque. Yeah. Um, of course, the staff here are still saying, we know nothing about this. Yeah. This cheque has been placed into this gallery by Thomas Georgeson. Uh, so, Thomas, if you are listening, again, we need to hear from you. He is saying there is a cheque in there somewhere for £8,000. Ian, I'm going to be going back in very, very soon. Oh. I'm not going to sit here in the radio car. No. There's £8,000 at stake. Get, I'm back in there very soon. Get in there, fella, and you, you let us know if you find it. Oh, I will. I'll have hash browns, please. <laughs> Thank you very much. Paul Scoynes, uh, who's a uh, political correspondent, and also uh, quite arty, said, of course, what would be the proper art thing to do would be for whoever found the £8,000 to burn it on the steps of the gallery, KLF style. Now that is art. 08459 555. Dealy or no dealy is what we're playing today. If you can do an impression of Justin Dealy, then um, good for you. <laughs> There's no prize. Just phone up and do it. It seems that everyone has their uh, impression of Justin Dealey. 08459 455 555. And knowing there's a cheque, we, we think there's a cheque, unless it's a double bluff for eight grand in there. It's signed. All you've got to do is put your name in and cash it. Would that make you go to that art gallery? To be honest, I think I might pop along because it, 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 it sounds like that. I do love all that modern art videos of people being silly and walking i saw a great one it was a fella it was in like the, the arctic or something walking in front of um one of those uh, icebreakers one of those ships that breaks through the ice and that was it and it was an hour of him walking in front of an icebreaker i didn't watch the hour i watched three minutes and then got bored but i love stuff like that i think it's wonderful christmas trees upside down go on I'll have some of that. I mean, I could do that. Well, uh, while she's doing the news, I'm hoping that Catherine uh, Boyle will be uh, rehearsing her Justin Dealey impressions. I will be playing Dealey or no Dealey with her after the latest news and sport. And that's the latest news and sport. More from me at nine o'clock. Playing Dealey or no Dealey. Who can do the best <laughs> Justin Dealey impression? We've all got one. We've all done it when he's not in the office. Uh, so, Catherine Boyle, can I please <laughs> have your Justin Dealey impression now? All right, Kath, I'm off down to Petty Station for some cream eggs and some Marley Lights. Do you want one? 
That is definitely a dealie. <laughs> on FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. If you want to have a go... I think I think that's the best one. Dealey or no Dealey. Uh, can you do a Justin Dealey impression? Oh eight four five I wish I'd thought of this at six o'clock, that'd have been the whole show. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Other bits and pieces coming up uh, before nine o'clock and before JVS. The Office of Fair Trading will today publish the findings of its review of petrol prices in the UK. We'll preview what's going to be said. And David Lloyd, the police and crime commissioner for Hertfordshire, has told this programme on Friday that they were still looking to use the security firm G4S to run some police services. Well, well, it now looks as if that deal has collapsed. He'll be with me in about 15 minutes' time to explain exactly what's going on. Now, as I said, the Office of Fair Trading has published its finding on the pr- findings on the price we pay for petrol and diesel. It follows accusations that the market is suffering from a lack of competition. The AA has said cheaper wholesale costs are not being reflected at the pump. Well, Quentin Wilson is from the Fair Fuel UK campaign and joins me now. Morning, Quentin. Morning. What is the OFT likely to say today? Well, I hope they're going to say they're going to have a look at this because whenever I ask the oil and, 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 and fuel industry about pricing and about how it works and all this upstream and downstream stuff and, and, and tell me about the transparency in wholesale prices, it is like explaining your hobbies to a pillar box. It's a completely one-way street, they never tell you anything, and they really are rubbish at explaining how their market works. And there's stuff that, 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 that looks so wrong. When the price of oil goes down, it takes, or at least last year, it took as, as, as long as six weeks for that price to be reflected at the pumps. Why is diesel in the UK so much more expensive? Expensive than in Europe. Why is it seven and a half p more um, on a motorway than it is in a, in a rural area and things like that? So th- there's lots and lots. Oh, of I hate that. I never fill up at a service station no. unless I'm absolutely desperate. It's a rip off. It is completely, and, and it, it's wrong. And I know they say, well, there's more, there's more cost of, of getting the stuff to the service, service stations, but it, it's not that much. They say that. I had someone on a couple of weeks ago who said that, and I was going, well, hang on. How come the last petrol station before the motorway is always five pence more than the one three miles down the road? Oh, it's the cost of getting... It's not the cost of getting it there. It doesn't make any difference. It's a few quid more in diesel, and it's certainly not four or five p extra a litre. And, and this is the sort of stuff we need to challenge routinely. America's done an investigation, the Germans are doing it now, and then there's the issue of the oil prices, the, the, the fact that that could be manipulated by the blokes with the 25 grand shoes and 50 grand watches. I am really uncomfortable with the fact that there's no real serious demand for oil at the moment in, in the Eurozone or in, 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 in the US, yet prices are going up and up and up. How this much, doesn't compute. How much more expensive can it get, Quentin? We've seen it kind of go down a little bit, because it was close to sort of 136, 137, now it's down to about, about 130 if you go to the right places. How much higher can it go? Well, in, in, d- diesel worries me. I saw diesel at 148 wow. uh, last week. And, and that's, it's the most expensive it's ever been. Historically, we now have the most expensive petrol in the UK for the last 100 years. And if it goes over that threshold of £1.50 um, a litre, which, if you'll forgive me an old money, is seven and a half quid for a gallon, for me, it's the end of the world. I mean, it just, just crippled businesses and families and people trying to get, get work. And I've just got to get this investigation and, and make sure we are paying as little as we can for for fuel. Will this make any difference whatsoever? Well, look, um, I took on the government with Fair Fuel um, last year and we managed to torpedo 12p's worth of duty rises. And that that, that was was a, a, a real achievement. 
it's a big organization there's, there's, it's a huge industry it's worth trillions and trillions of dollars but if it gets them to to to, to quicken up the process if it gets them to to begin to be more transparent if it gets them to communicate with us better then that's that's good i have to begin the process somewhere and if the oft are beginning it now that's great hey quentin going off on a slight tangent i've got a six-year-old 1.2 polo yesterday for the first time ever i got over 400 miles 405 miles on one tank of petrol that's great it how many good, miles to the gallon is that oh i don't know don't make me do maths and stuff you've but got it's... a trip computer on it you could, it could give you oh. your average fuel oh i don't want to do it tr- <laughs> now it's got all com- confusing you've taken the magic out of store. it they tell you how many miles you get together but that's great i mean that must be about 60 and that's just because you've changed your driving style yeah because i've changed i pumped up the tires and i'm just going slower i'm just going yeah. slower and i'm saving it's a few amazing. quid it is amazing it can make a 25 percent difference to your petrol consumption there you go you see quentin listen lovely to talk to you thank you very much indeed quentin wilson there quentin won't remember but uh, many years ago i did a pilot for a tv show with quentin wilson me quentin wilson and a lady whose name escapes me is produced by bob mortimer and we are all trained to be hairdressers i know we had a day's training i was trained in a salon right where the haircuts cost 100 pounds a hundred pound haircut and i got a couple of free haircuts out of it let's be honest i got a couple of free 100 pound haircuts they weren't worth 100 pounds you wouldn't pay 100 pounds 100 pounds for a haircut but yes yeah, so quentin and i had a day of uh, learning to style uh, have you ever washed someone's hair in a hairdresser's basin it's really hard and then start i got to cut a lady's fringe it was the most exciting and awful thing I've ever done in my life. She had a wonky fringe. Well, talking about petrol prices there, we can uh, now talk to Steve, who's a haulier from Dunstable. Steve, how have petrol price rises affected you and your business? Um, I would say that uh, it's my major, major expenditure in the business, the fuel prices. I mean, people that run commercial vehicles these days are really up against it. I mean... It's over 60% of the cost that goes out on the business. And I, it's just getting harder and harder to survive out there, to be honest. Listen, I, I wince every time I fill up my, my little polo with, with, with petrol. It must be costing you guys a fortune. Any idea how much it, it's costing you a year? <sighs> to, be, to be honest with you, I've given up adding it up. Really? In the sense, in the sense that the commercial vehicles I operate do six to the gallon. So if you if you're going out and looking at a day's work, then you'll burn anything between 150 to 200 pounds a day wow. in fuel. Wow! So over the past year and a half, my business has shrunk to the point where it's just me, basically, and I'm I'm in survival mode. So we look at every penny we spend, and uh, we get our fuel where it's cheapest. And you will be amazed. Um, hauliers in this country, if they're filling up off a fuel card, which is a bulk buy, mm. um, are paying 5p or less at the pump than the general public. Mm. And the prices and the way they do fuel prices in this country make no sense whatsoever to, to the man in the street. I mean, I, I, I fill up at supermarkets a commercial vehicle i flip up at a supermarket because some some weeks you get a different price every week that comes across in a text message on a friday and you can fill up two or three p a litre cheaper at a supermarket than a bunker price where you're buying in bulk mm. none of it makes any sense to the general public but the general public i think are a little bit more uh, proactive now as far as finding cheaper fuel 
Uh, well, you say more proactive, Steve. I remember, what was it, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, the fuel protests where, where people were blocking the streets and there was no petrol. Everyone seems to have kind of given up now, haven't they? We, we just sort of shrug our shoulders and accept it. I think people just think they're banging their head against a brick wall, to be honest, because if you, if you think about the, the government has, has frozen fuel duty, like Quinton just said, 12p a litre has been offset. But every time the fuel company puts their prices up, who gets the majority of that increase? It goes to the government. Mm. Out of every pound, 70 pence of that goes to the government any- anyway. You know, every penny, 70% of that penny goes to the government. So they're getting their fuel increases. So they don't jump up and create a stink when the fuel companies want to put their price up. The good old days was when it used to be on news at 10. People, oh, you know, it'll be on the news. There's going to be a fuel increase. So everybody had the knowledge. But now you get out of bed in the morning, go to the fuel station to fill up, and lo and behold, the price has gone up mm. because we're all so complacent where that's concerned. Steve, listen, we've got to end it there. Thank you, Steve Hawley from Dunstable. Saying there that petrol is his biggest outlay. It is expensive. And, uh, uh, you know, it, I see it at 133. I think, oh, that's quite che- That's cheap. We'll have some of that. 08459 455 555. 20 minutes if you want to give us a call and do your Justin Dealey impression as we play Dealey or No Dealey. Jenny's in Brickettwood. Morning, Jenny. Good morning. You've not called in for Dealey or No Dealey. You've called in on the slightly more serious uh, topic we've been discussing this morning of uh, the bedroom tax. That's right. Um, I think there's a bit of a misconception um, amongst many of the public that um, this is on what you would call empty rooms where children have flown the nest and you've got a couple living in perhaps a three-bedroom property Mm. and only needing the one bedroom. Um, I think a lot of people don't know that it's actually going to affect families as well. So, for instance, a couple with um, a son and a daughter, perhaps aged seven and eight or you know, similar sort of ages, at the moment would quite likely have a room each and they would have been allocated um, a council house which they've been living in for some years on that understanding. Mm. Under the new um, rulings, children under the age of 10 who are of different gender are supposed to share a room. So in effect, a family with a three-bedroom house, two children of different sexes are under-occupying that's so under under the age of ten, isn't it? A spare room. Under the age of ten, they have to to to, to share. Is yes, that such they a big? Expected to. And under the age of sixteen, um, if they're the same sex. Is that such have... a is that such a big concern though? My niece and nephew share seven and five, uh, well, and they share a room. My children have done in the past. Um, my point is that they've been occupying this property. Um, because, um, perhaps for a good number of years, because that was considered appropriate accommodation for them. And now, if you like, the goalposts have moved. Mm. Um, And and another year or two down the line, once one of them hits 10, they then don't have to pay that tax anymore. So no family is going to want to move for a few years and then move again when it becomes necessary for the children to have separate rooms. It is confusing, and it does seem, um, I guess if there is an unfair aspect of this, or one of the unfair aspects seems to be, that uh, it, it's going to happen immediately, and, and that, you know, there's, there's no, it's a sudden moving of the goalposts. There's That's no kind right. of easing into this. Situation. Um, and the same situation would arrive, arise with children of the same sex who are under 16. So you might have several little girls or little boys all sharing a bedroom and not be 
well, they, they can ask for a larger accommodation, but then they have to pay that extra amount because the council would say they have a spare room. And I think that's a misnomer. OK, Jenny, thank you very much. We, d- we did touch on that point earlier on, but thank you very much just for reminding people who perhaps uh, missed that. Um, kids sharing a room? You know, it's, it, that happens, doesn't it? It happens, it's fine. Yes, you, it's, it's unfortunate if you're going to get stung because you, you've got those two rooms. But if you get moved into a place that's it's, it's kids sharing, it's not ideal. Of course it's not ideal. But a seven-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl, they can share quite happily bunk beds, isn't it? Everyone loves a bunk bed. Uh, 08459-455-555. After nine o'clock, JVS will be uh, running along with this one. He'll be asking, should council tenants with a spare room be forced to downsize? 08459-455-555. You can email him as well now if you want. Show at bbc.co.uk. Put your number and um, your details and kind of a little, maybe a little sentence about what you want to say and the team will no doubt get back in touch with you. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, this is very exciting. It's being reported that an artist has hidden a blank cheque for £8,000 somewhere in Milton Keynes Gallery. Thomas Georgeson has apparently put it there in the hope it will raise interest in the town's art scene. Well, it's the front page of uh, The Telegraph. We've been banging on about it all morning. It's doing something, isn't it? You've got until the 1st of March to find it. Well, uh, our arts correspondent, Justin Dealey, has been at the gallery all morning. Justin? Oh, yes. Uh, good morning, Ian. Hope you're well. Uh, yes, I'm outside the... Uh... <laughs> is, that your, is that your posh voice? <laughs> it is, it is, That's yes. Terrible. It's like your... It's, it's like when, you, when, you're, when you're drunk, right, and you don't want your mum to know you're drunk, yeah. so you try and sound sober. That's what you just did then. No, no, mum, I'm absolutely fine. I haven't been drinking at all. But so no, I'm, I'm actually outside the gallery at the moment, and I've uh, been speaking to people all morning here. Uh, most people have never been to the gallery before. They're going to be in there later on looking for this blank check. I've been inside the gallery. I've seen those upside-down Christmas trees. The thing is, Ian, it's all spaced out, so quite where this check would Ooh. be, I don't know. But the staff are still sticking to their story. They are saying they know absolutely nothing about this at all. Very quick question here to Catherine Sorensen. Catherine is the communications manager of the Milton Keynes Art Gallery. Catherine, welcome to the programme. You're live across Beds, Hearts and Bucks. Very simply, is this a hoax? Hi, Justin. Hands on heart. The first and I got a call from the Telegraph yesterday and the staff team and I went through the space and we couldn't find a thing. Whether it's a hoax by Tom or not, I just can't answer that. Right, OK, so you can't answer that question. Just lastly, we've heard from lots of people who will be here at midday when you open. Have you got extra security in place to deal with this? Obviously, we've got a responsibility to look after the work, so we will make sure we've got the right team to look after the work and manage the numbers coming through the doors. There you go, in. So apparently they can't say whether it's a hoax or not, but uh, they have got extra security in place, and this place is going to be very, very busy from midday today. All those people looking for that unsigned cheque of £8,000. Dealey, to be, be honest, mm. have you found it? <laughs> and you're just, you're just playing cute here. Come well, on. Catherine can back me up. Catherine, you can tell Ian right now, I have been looking, but I haven't found it, have I? I haven't checked his pockets. Would you like me to? Frisk him down, please, <laughs> and we'll... Frisk me. Frisk him and we'll find it. I don't trust Dealey as far as I could throw him, which isn't very far, as he's a very tall gentlemen. Now, a deal to use the security firm at the heart of the Olympic staffing debacle to run some police services in Beds and Hearts looks to have collapsed. The police commissioners of Beds, Hearts and Cambridgeshire met last night and discussed the deal. The PCCs of Hearts and Beds always disagreed over this. Well, David Lloyd, the Hearts Commissioner, joins me now. Morning, David. Morning, Ian. You must be disappointed because last week you were telling me that the deal was was still alive and you were all set. Well, uh, what I said last week, I think, and uh, certainly what I'm saying this morning, is that this is always going to be 
uh, a judgment based on evidence. Uh, we've, we've talked this through. We didn't want to make a very, very swift decision on the 16th of November, 22nd of November. It's right and proper that we look at the evidence in front of us. Um, this isn't really about whether or not we can outsource services. Mm. Um, this is about whether or not this particular deal worked in these particular circumstances. And it's a very complicated uh, set of circumstances. We've got uh, three forces collaborating mm. and working together, and it was whether or not we could stretch the Lincolnshire deal so that uh, it would work across those three forces. We've come to the professional uh, conclusion, on the advice of the Chief Constables, that it wouldn't work. Do you feel let down by Ollie Martins? Because he was uh, against this from the start, wasn't he? Well, uh, not at all. Um, as, as you rightly say, he was against it from the start. Um, and what, what the great thing about working with politicians is you do get some straightforward, blunt talking about what you want and what you don't want. Um, and I'm not at all disappointed by that. I knew exactly which position he was taking. However, um, this hasn't ruled out using the private sector in the future. Mm. And indeed, it hasn't, as far as Hertfordshire is concerned, ruled out using G4S for any services in the future. Oh, really? It's just about this specific contract and that is a very important point. So you could, you're saying that you could possibly go solo on this? No, what I'm saying is we could possibly use G4S in the future. I think the specific... Di we are very much committed to the strategic alliance, the collaboration, or whatever you want to call that project. Yeah. We're working very closely with Cambridgeshire and with Bedfordshire. Um, clearly, we want to continue doing that, and for those services, we're not going to be using G4S for that specific deal. However, I'm very, very happy to look at the private sector, yeah. uh, and I'm very happy to look at G4S in the future um, as things come up. Looking at G4S for Hertfordshire or, or as part of this, this, this kind of group? Because Ollie Martin seemed very against G4S when he came in earlier. Well, I, I, my understanding is that uh, Bedfordshire already used G4S for some services. So I don't think it's, a, again, I don't think it's against G4S. And one of the dangers about this whole debate was that it has tended to become polarised around G4S or not G4S. What's the important thing is providing efficient and effective policing for me in Hertfordshire. How has this happened so quickly? Because on Friday, uh, you, you know, you were talking about this, this deal and, and, and talking about G4S possibly being the, in the running, uh, and then last night it all fell through. What, what happened so quickly that, that changed your well, mind? Um, in terms of media interest, um, it's quite uh, quick, but actually, uh, you knew uh, where we were going to be probably on the 16th of November. I mean, you know, you knew that there were, were difficulties on it because you've always asked me, and I've said mm. they're still in the running, which they are, because until we took a formal decision to say, no, it isn't, they had to be in the running still but we've been uh, looking through everything properly uh, and it's important that uh, we come to a professional conclusion which is what we've now done is it going to be difficult working on projects together because there are going to be disagreements you do come from from different uh, uh, backgrounds is it going to be hard to agree on things not at all uh, ollie has the best interests of bedfordshire in mind i have the best interests of hertfordshire in mind uh, we'll work together where we can work together and where we can't we will uh, properly say no we can't do things there there's no no animosity between us the only issue is one of uh, whether or not we feel that the best way of delivering uh, policing and support services is via private sector or not i believe much of it is uh, ollie doesn't have quite the same view but i think you'll find that uh, he's quite happy to look into the private sector mm. he's just specifically didn't want g4s for that contract is this uh, th th there, there is the argument that politics shouldn't be involved in this and i know that lots of you know when in the run-up to all this it was all about well, this isn't about politics but it would appear that politics are creeping into this. You're from a Conservative background, Ollie is from a Labour background, and this doesn't kind of fit in with the, the Labour uh, approach to the police. Does that mean that politics are integral to these decisions, whether we want them to be or not? 
Always have been. Uh, you know, the, remember the whole thing started before we had police and crime commissioners when I was chairing the police authority and before even that. Mm. Um, politics isn't a dirty word. Politics is about how you uh, make decisions and the process you use. Yes, of course, to that extent, politics are involved, but not party politics in terms of whipping people to do this, that or the other. It's about what are our broad ideas and broadly, um, and you'll know through my police and crime plan, I believe that we should have a greater business focus. We should be looking to see how efficient and effective we can be and I'll continue to look outside to the private sector to see what it can provide alongside what we can do in-house. We've got a great constabulary mm. and I'm a, a huge supporter of it. What happens next? So the, so the G4S has been put to one side. Where are we now? What, what, what well, it, uh, it allows us to, to start afresh. We've done a lot of work so we know exactly what we want. I think we've got to make sure we tie down exactly how we want to work together first. We've got uh, some help around that uh, and we're meeting uh, again within the next month where we will talk about the next stage mm. and uh, clearly we will look to see whether or not there is a market solution and we will look to see whether or not it's an in-house and by the way the reason we look to the market solution as I always explain to people it's like if you're looking to sell your property you want to know what price the property is first of all yep. you might decide not to sell it similarly I want to see what the cost would be properly in the marketplace mm. to deliver these services and if we can make the same savings in-house so be it I'd be very happy to take them in-house I asked Ollie this uh, a couple of months into this job new job are you enjoying it is it, oh. is it is it what you thought it would be I, uh, I I'm enjoying every moment of it it's uh, even uh, more uh, important than I thought it was going to be and I'm pleased that uh, the public are so much involved in what uh, I'm doing I think it's a really great way of showing how important crime reduction and policing is in this county got your boy next door is he you're hoping he's going to follow in your footsteps or are you advising him away from this whole world <laughs> altogether now the one person will never ever take any advice from me is my own son felix it's the way it goes isn't it it's what happens when you're a dad david thank you so much for coming in it's always Cheers. a pleasure uh oh wait oh, no, i'm giving out the number jonathan vernon smith is up next look it's nearly nine o'clock if you want to speak to jonathan the phone lines are his now oh eight four five nine four double five five double five if you've got any ideas for things that we should be talking about on this show that perhaps we should be covering and we haven't been mentioning you can always get in touch you can go to the facebook page facebook.com forward slash bbc 3cr or you can send us an email 3cr at bbc.co.uk if you just kind of mark in the the, the the subject heading ian lee or breakfast or something it will get to us always happy to hear your stories that perhaps we're not looking at and you think we should well there you go we've we it looks like we've made it once again to quote the song we've stumbled uh, to the end of it a, bit, a little bit lackluster the first hour i had great trouble waking up this morning i know you probably wouldn't have noticed. It would have sounded marvellous to your ears. Back tomorrow at six o'clock with more nonsense and bits and pieces for you to talk about. Do stay tuned, though, because the wonderful Jonathan Vernon-Smith, the second best Justin Dealey impersonator, up next. Beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, how about that? Thank you, Ian.